Less than 24 hours apart. Bam, we're live. Sorry, guys. Sorry. I was over here uh, looking at uh, how the Chicago mayor races, that that lady, that fucking nightmare of a fucking mayor they had is gone. That's crazy. Oh, my God. It's the reign of terror is over. Michael, what's up, brother? What's up? What's happening? Look at that beautiful last name. That's uh, um, you eat crate. You eat crawfish. I do eat crawfish. That is yeah. a good sign. Right? That's what that last name means. That's exactly it. Uh, Michael, Caleb, Caleb, Michael. It's it's Cashew. Cashew, yep. What's up, Cashew? Caleb? Nice to meet you, Kat. Michael. Michael, Michael Cashew. Does anyone ever get that right? Like, do dudes from California, are they able to say that on the first try? Or I have met maybe one or two people in my whole life that got it right the first time. Right, that didn't like. I mean, I uh, the only reason why I got it right is because obviously I've heard your name a uh, shitload of times. But like in the third, how about how about but how about like you went to school in uh, Louisiana? No, so well, the, yeah, I went to like grade school and stuff, and then I went to college in Utah. But and, and when you're in grade school, the te- do the teachers get it right? Like they're like, uh, my, oh my, yeah, 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 because I, they I know. grew up in a town of forty five hundred people. Everybody knows everybody, and my dad yeah. was a politician, so people knew my name at in the little town. Okay, and, and then they know how to pronounce you know letters that are mushed together like that, right? Yeah, right. they know that O U X is you, casual. Yep, yep, yeah, that's cool. Are, are you um? Uh, do, do you know your family's uh, trip to the United States? Are, are, are yes, so I'm a European mutt. I've got Irish, French, some Scottish, and then some ambiguous other European in me. Um, was your dad born here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, uh, yeah, my family's been in Louisiana for four, five, six generations. Hey, is it, um, it, those people are like, uh, predominantly French, uh, descendants there. Those are French people. Like Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. So what France Asian means is Uh people went from France to Nova Scotia. Uh Uh-huh. That's and Canada, right? That's down. the up, that's Eastern Canada up in the yeah, cold. Eastern okay. Canada. That's like where some of I think the biggest hicks in Canada live is what I'm awesome. Told. And yeah. they came down to Louisiana, and they were, as far as I know, they were quite a subclass, and they were very much looked down upon, and um, they had a very distinct culture, created a very distinct culture, and you know now there are not many true Cajuns left, but in like Western, especially Western Louisiana on your way to Texas, there's some, some serious Cajuns and they're awesome. I, um, I spent some time in Homa, Homa, Louisiana Mm -hmm. filming a movie and it it was like a different country. Good people. Great people. Some of the nicest going on at Homa. Yeah. Some of the nicest people I ever met, but, but like a totally like uh different, like dudes who like make a living, like getting alligators, like a legit, like that's their job. Yeah, nice. crazy, crazy stuff. Um, I um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Marsden Sawyer, uh, about I don't know six months ago, uh, said, "Oh, hey, I have a friend. Uh, he hit me up, uh, Michael Cashew, and, and I recognize the name. I just didn't know from where. And uh, would just like to shoot the shit with you. Uh, can I give him your phone number? And you called, and we met. And I was like, "Wow, this is a really cool dude." After you know, I felt the same way, man. Yeah, you're 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 a cool cat, and I was like, oh. And then I started looking into you, and and on the phone, I got to know you a little bit, and now I know why I always heard the name. 
uh, because of uh, your your entrenchment in the CrossFit space. And and then you had a really amazing podcast. I didn't even know about that. A, a big podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, an amazing podcast. It had 1,845 star reviews on Apple. Mm-hmm. Crazy. 340 shows. Yep. Um, well, oh, yeah. This, you- was a, this was a great episode. This was, uh, yeah, Adi and I, we started doing, this is my wife, Adi. Uh, we started doing some episodes together talking about relationships. And those were, those were some of my most downloaded episodes up against people with millions of Instagram and YouTube subscribers. Um, why did you stop? I, I was, I was bored for like a year and I tried different, you know, I tried, uh, I'll back up a little bit for the entire podcast. I allowed the, the content and the topics to evolve with my interests and about a year ago is when I paused, but a year before that, I started just getting really bored with it, bored with the the interview style. And so I started doing some solo podcasts. I started to only do in-person ones and, and not care at all about how big someone's following was. And it just wasn't interesting to me anymore. And I, in retrospect, the, the reason I was hanging on to it was maybe partly ego partly like a sense of scarcity, which is like, I don't want to lose the audience. Mm. And what I realized by the lack of engagement that I had for the last year is I've already lost them. Like no one, everyone can feel my lack of interest in this. And it's just not, I I just, I don't think it was very valuable anymore to anyone. And so I I paused it. And then one of the things that a D suggested to me was she said, why don't you just get a co-host? You know, you always have fun bantering with one of your buddies and things like that. And I couldn't think of anyone in the moment. And then a few months ago, I had the idea to start a new show with one of our mentors. Her name is Annie Lala. She's our relationship coach. And we're in the process of of launching one right now, which I'm very excited about. Oh, I spent some time on her account too, after finding your account. I, I do this show. Um regularly where it's just myself and Caleb or myself and Caleb and Sousa. And I just play clips that I find just from around the internet and her, she's going to be a wealth of information. She has some funny shit. She had this one post on there. It says it's, it's titled when two wounds fuck. <laughs> nice. Two, two like her. And I'm like, that's an, I even went over and told my wife, I'm like, look at the title of this video. She's like, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and, uh, sorry, this is a little self-serving here. Um, why did you say you were only going to do them in, in person? Why did you switch to that to make it more challenging or no, because I thought, well, from experience doing some in-person ones, it always just felt like a more fulfilling experience. You know, I got to really catch up with the person before or after, and it felt more like I was hanging out with a friend than I was doing this kind of work related thing. Yeah. And that, that worked to some extent, but uh, yeah, I was just, I was just done. I was just done with it for a while. Um, I recently, um, uh, I have uh, Dave Castro on the show periodically, and he told me that he won't come on anymore unless we do them in person. Hmm. And, um, I think he did that cause he just wants to see me go in person. So I set up my studio so I could do it in person. But the thought of like having someone to my house and like having to talk to them 
Yeah. And then, and then it's a the, much what bigger if, deal. And then what if they don't leave? <laughs> yes. Like what if they want to stay and be my friend? I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, that was all just for the podcast. You must go, go. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I have a tendency to like people too. And like, I don't like, I don't want to like, like, what if I say something stupid? Like, Hey, you want to go get something to eat? Then my whole day is <laughs> fucked. Huge uh, mistake. Uh, did you do very many in person? Towards the end, I probably did a dozen or two dozen. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So you dug in, and you know, I'm I feel fortunate that I'm in a really cool city where there are a lot of awesome people around. You know, Austin is one of the kind of new hubs for for thought leadership in the country, and so it worked out. I don't. I have no interest in, or never had any interest of like doing a bunch of traveling to do the in-person ones, mm. but you know, having people over to my house or going over to their house worked for a little while. Um, uh, yeah. Austin really is uh, turning into quite the spot, right? Yeah. I think that it was, it's already been growing for quite a while. And then the pandemic hit and that just that whole two year period of, of weirdness happened. And I think a lot of people were attracted to the blend of ideas here and or more, more so values. So there are a lot of driven people here, mm-hmm. you know, like there are in New York or parts of California, but what's distinct about this place in my, in my experience is that they value community and even family more than, than their drive to succeed. And I think that's been really attractive along with some of the, the, the politics during the, all the shutdowns, I think we're also uh, pulling people here, but yeah, people like they're up to something, but they're, they're more interested in, in connecting with people and having fun, which, uh, which vibes really well with us as well. The people that, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the people there, uh, there's this guy, Chris Williamson's there who has a podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Rogan's there, right? That you know, Chris, Chris is a buddy of yours. I do. Yeah. I think I was oh. his second podcast guest ever. Well, we just, he, we, he we, came we, from we, England, right? He did. Yeah. So he's there. And then um, Joe Rogan's there. And then that guy, Lex Friedman is there, right? Mm-hmm. And then recently this guest of, that I've had on a couple of times, uh, Nikki Rodriguez has opened up a jujitsu studio there called nice. B team. Um, I think I've, I think I've heard of it. That's a, it, yeah. B team. Is that like the really incredible team? Like one of the best in the world? Yeah. The, ba- they, the, the guy who's the best guy in the world, Gordon Ryan and this yeah, guy, okay. Nikki Rodriguez, yeah. they had a breakup mm. and Nikki uh, and his team kind of in his portion of the team landed in Austin and they've kept a really kind of, um, I mean, it's fun from my perspective. They've kept a fun narrative. They've really kind of exploded the sport. Um, through their bickering, right? They have a feud of two, and and it's it's um allowed a lot of people to engage on a on a pretty crazy narrative. That right. that's a uh, that's um him and Gordon. Uh, I think that's him and Gordon wrestling right there. And so they have a pretty gnarly internet fight just constantly going where they make fun of each other. And what do you think? Are they actually do they actually have beef? Or are they yes. manipulating um, the media? Both. both. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, both. They definitely, uh, there's definitely some tension there, but anyway, so it's, it's, and I'm sure, I'm sure like, and those are just the things I'm interested in. So, oh, and then, and then, um, that, that, uh, kill Tony thing is there, right? 
Yep, the Tony Hinchcliffe. Elon is here. Elon is there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of big folks. And and I think that Kill Tony show I've heard is the largest um, live YouTube show on the internet. I think they get like three hundred thousand really? live viewers. I mean, I think they, they claim that in the beginning, which wow. is like if if it's not true, I just like it that they claim it. <laughs> uh, John Wellborn is down there too. Okay, so yep. um, I think he lives out by by us. We live sort of out in the country in a place called Dripping Springs, like forty minutes outside of the city. We just moved out here. Wow, that's an awesome. I think name. he. I think he's out here. Um, you, you in two thousand twelve and two thousand thirteen, you were at the CrossFit Games on the winning cross on the winning winning uh, affiliate team. Yep, yep. I'm sure you remember Tommy Hackenbrook. Yeah, yeah. I was on his team. And um, did you guys qualify? Um, and, and there was that crazy buff dude, something Ford on your team. Yeah, that was Brennan Fjord. <laughs> Fjord, Fjord. He he was um, on the team the next year after I was done. So I think 2014, maybe they went back again or 2015 and either won it. Yeah, I think they won it. I think that, yeah, the year they beat Rich. They won We're, it maybe 2015. Please, not on this show. Don't say that on this show. That's you sac- can't say rich. Sac- no, you can't say anyone beat rich on this show. That's sacrilege. Oh yeah, cut that. Okay, yes. Um, uh, Michael, um, were you on that team that qualified through Denver one yes. year, and you had a girl on your team who was breastfeeding in between events? Black girl. Yes, Taylor Richard Lindsay. What a beast. I remember seeing that and filming there and just being like, this is got, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen across. <laughs> still maybe to this day, it is winning events with you guys. You were on that team. It was you and her and Tommy. Yep. Yeah. And Adrian, who I'm sure, you know, Conway Adrian Conway. Yep. Okay. And then uh, a gal named Mary Lampus and then Aaron Binion. Absolutely yeah. Taylor, nice. Taylor was a, just a freak athlete. Just learning anything new. She picked it up more quickly than just about anyone I've ever met. And I'm remembering that correctly, right? You guys would win an event. She'd walk off the field and let the baby just clasp onto her tit yep. and feed it. Yep. Grow a baby at halftime. Yeah. That <laughs> shit was, that shit was amazing. I was really, uh, and she was uh, down to earth, like not stressed out or anything. Just mm-hmm. what a cool experience. Did you have yeah. thoughts on that when that was going down? Not really. Yeah, not not really. Just normal. I, I think it. I think that probably shaped the way that I, I kind of assume strength in mothers maybe a little bit more because of that. Yeah, you but see yeah, that that'll change back, your whole perspective. Yeah, looking back, that's incredibly badass. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that, as, you, as you say, the the chill piece. I think one of the strengths of our team was just very. We were very laid back in between events, joking around you know, taking things seriously, but also having a lot of fun with it. And in any sport and definitely in the CrossFit community, as it was like this, this brand new thing, I think people just stress themselves out too much. And I think it really served us to have, have a lot of fun with it. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Birchfield, Salt Lick Barbecue. Yeah. I, I, when I think of breastfeeding, uh, I would see my wife like work out and have the baby there. And then just like literally right after a workout, throw the baby on the boob. And I always thought, Oh yeah, it's probably just tastes like, um, uh, those, those candy bars or chocolate, you know, when uh, salt is on there. 
it's probably just the most amazing thing uh-huh. for the baby. Did you ever have a dog and every time <laughs> you're done work, every time you're done working out, he comes over and licks your face. Like he just can't get enough of the salt. Do you ever have a dog like that? Yeah, yeah. A little bit. And you're just like, Oh yeah, they're just getting the salt. Uh-huh. I'm just totally into it. Uh, Trish, I breastfed my stepson at an event and everyone loses their shit. No, no one. Where, where do you live on the moon? No one, no one cares anymore. Loses their shit in which way? Like, oh my God, you're amazing? Or, oh my God, don't pull your titty out in public? That's the way I took it. I took it as the latter. I read into it as the latter. Oh, Jeff says that's actually a barbecue joint in Dripping Springs. Uh the it is. That's what uh, I thought you were talking about. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Weird. I thought you, okay. I'm stuck on the, the baby on the boobs. A barbecue is to breastfeeding is to dogs, to licking faces. Um, what, what, oh, there it is. Salt Lake barbecue. You've been there. I have. Yeah. Oh, it's, I would say it's like a little bit better than mediocre, but it has a, an amazing outdoor area. Ambience. And it's really popular ambiance. Um, also, this is a really slick platform. Are we live on YouTube right now or what? Yeah, this is great. We are. I've never seen this. And then you, afterwards, you can chop it up and. You could. We don't. You okay. Got like, it. we're like, hey, nice having you on, Michael. And then I run away and play with my Peace. kids. And yeah. yeah. And we, That's great. <laughs> we, used, we used to have a couple more people helping us and you'd see some stuff on Instagram. Um, yeah. but now we're just, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing now, but it's good. The show's fucking growing like crazy. So hell yeah, man. I don't want to fuck with it. Um, uh, you, so, so that, that's pretty amazing. I, I want to go back from there. It's, it's crazy that you, you've won the games twice. That that's gotta be, uh, an amazing experience. Um, I want to go back. So you're, you're born in Louisiana. Yep. Uh, siblings, two younger sisters. And I've got a, a massive extended family. Adi comes from an immigrant family. They, her parents moved from Israel. And so, and, and they moved to Toronto and she grew up with very, very small, like holiday gatherings. And she, she always jokes when she comes to Christmas at my place, it's like 50, 60 people. And that's only half like one side of the family. Right. Crazy. Oh, where did you meet her? in san diego at uh at barbell shrugged mastermind that that's a business event no wow no she's she's a fitness girl she was into exercising (laughs) very much yeah she was a she was a bronze medalist at canadian nationals in weightlifting and she started working against gravity oh God, it's a small world. Very into fitness. Well, holy shit! And, uh, and and you and she doesn't. You guys don't own that anymore. You guys are married. We are married. And, and so she doesn't own that anymore. Correct. We sold that um, almost two years ago. Oh, is that congratulations in order? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So you now I'm getting. I want to go back to your youth, but fuck this. Uh, so you started brute strength. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Me and uh, a partner, Matt Bruce, and also Tommy Hackenbrook. And, and tell me what is, what was, what is, or what, what was, and what is brute strength? Brute strength. Yeah. We started out just programming, doing online programming for people that wanted to go to the games, like 
people that saw themselves and, 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 and a lot that were very high level athletes. And then we realized that the market for that was quite small. And so we branched out and started making programs for people that just wanted to compete better in their gym and in the open and then um, into weightlifting. And then we started a program called brute body, which was more geared towards people that wanted to look better naked. And so very, yeah, very thoughtful, intentional online programming. And one of the things that set us apart for, for some amount of time was we created a team of experts that were collaborating on these programs rather than one person trying to be the expert in all of the different modalities. And so we would come together and create programs for, for our highest level athletes and then for the, the big groups that we would run. And what year did you guys start that? 2014. Yeah. End of 2014. Who else was in the programming space when you guys started that? Yeah. So, so CJ for sure, Ben for sure. And I would say those were the biggest without a doubt. And was Ben's then, called comp train at that time? I can't, I can't remember. Even I think it might've been CFNE still. Okay. And then there was a guy, man, this is funny because yesterday I, I saw an old video and this guy's picture popped up uh is it like the outlaw way was that a thing oh yeah um he was elizabeth Ockenwally's boyfriend or husband That's or it. something yeah oh, yeah i forgot about that guy or something like that yeah so he was he was i think sort of big and i, I, I can't remember him. who else i think there were definitely some more people but it was it was sort of ben and cj were the biggest as far as i remember and uh, what, what's that guy's name let me see if you can uh let's go to about i want to see if i can remember that guy's name he was very distinct, right? He was short. Yeah. He had big hair. Yeah, he had a huge beard and tattoos, and he yeah, created okay. he created a sort of cult following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so and and you guys did that thinking. You guys created that. It seemed. Oh, that's not him, though. No, if that's him, he looks totally different. Let me see. No, I don't recognize. If that's yeah, him, man, know. you you've really changed. Good job. Yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I remember him being pudgy, a little bit pud- more round, more rotund. <laughs> I don't know, man. God, he really I don't handsome. Think that's the guy. I don't think he that's got the really guy. he got really handsome. Yeah. All right, and you guys started that. That was like um. You were thinking, well, shit. What was the what was the thought behind that? We're already doing it for ourselves. We might as well turn this uh, like, like we might as well turn this into a business, make money doing something we love. So I was a right when I stopped competing, I became a strength and conditioning coach, and I worked at Southern Utah University. What year is this? Two thousand fifteen. Thirteen. I started. Thirteen. Okay. And because I had a I had a back injury, and so I knew I was going to have to stop competing, and so. I worked at SUU and then LSU and LSU in the strength and in the college strength and conditioning world is sort of the pinnacle. And I realized that. So Matt Bruce on the far right, I realized that I wasn't happy there. And if I wasn't happy there, I probably wasn't going to be happy anywhere in that industry. And while I was there, well, just to back up a little bit, this guy, Matt, he, 
got me the position at LSU. And I was really grateful for him. And I said, Matt, how can I repay you? And he said, I know that you're programming on the side for some individuals. I was just doing that, you know, to make a little extra cash. And he said, why don't we team up? You write the whole program and just tell me where to put the weightlifting stuff in it. And I said, okay, let's do it. And at the time I thought, okay, I'll make a little, I'll continue making a little extra money on the side and I'm going to, I'm going to pay Matt back. And I wanted, I wanted only to do programming, nothing to do with business whatsoever. And so then we did that. And then I decided that I was going to be done, you know, at some point in the next year, I decided I wasn't going to continue following the, the strength and conditioning path. And I, I was chatting with Tommy Hackenbrook and he said he was looking to get rid of one of his gyms in Salt Lake City. I think he had three at the time. And he off, he gave me a, an offer to come out, run one for six months. And at, then at the end of it, if I wanted to buy it from him, I could buy it from him. Hmm. And so I decided I was going to do that with uh, a, a guy named Jake Hutton, who's a, a good friend of mine. And we went out there. And when we went out there, he's oh, another part of the kind of packages. He said, I know you and Matt are doing this programming thing. Why don't we leverage the Ute CrossFit name and try to make this thing a little bit bigger? And so I thought, okay, maybe we can make a little more money doing this on the side, but no intention whatsoever of turning it into uh, an actual business. I still only wanted to do the programming and let other people do the rest. And so I get out there and I started playing around with Instagram for the first time and just having a lot of fun on there. And pretty quickly I saw, like we started just bringing a bunch of people in to this new company that we called Brute. And I saw pretty quickly that the, the, the scale at which we could impact people and the, the, the flexibility and freedom that we would have doing an online company was exponentially greater than an in-person gym. Within that six months, I, I realized I absolutely don't want to run a gym right now. Mm. And we decided to just go full on into Brute. But but you kept that that place ended up becoming like brute headquarters, right? I remember seeing pictures and stuff of like athletes working out in their stuff. Wasn't there a guy named I'm gonna confuse him with a games athlete that's currently there was a guy there with the last name Fowler. Was it a Nick Fowler? Nick, Nick Fowler, yep. Yeah, and he was there too, right? Yep. Okay. it's it, it, God, it's so it's so weird. Th- that time CrossFit was growing so much mm-hmm. that there were these oh, someone said the guy's name was Rudy. That's right, Rudy. 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 That's right. Rudy Nielsen? Yeah, that sounds right. No. That sounds right. Oh, we'll put this together with the big group of people. Okay. And it's interesting because those those types of things would pop up on my radar and I would know. And I think I remember um Brooke Entz went there. Brookins, yep, yep. I coached her for a while, and um, she was a good friend at the time. And what other athletes went there that I would know? That you would know. Um, we coached Kara Webb for a okay. while. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Fakowski for a while. There are a bunch, and I'm forgetting. I've been out of right. it for okay. four or five years, uh, but those are a couple of the the biggest. I would say. Okay. Roman as of, you know, most, most recently. 
Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. And, and that that's always a little weird, right? When when a big athlete like him, uh, he he was with Nick, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I heard that that he was with Nick. Oh my God, that's Brooke. Look how young she looks. Is that you on the right? That's me. Holy cow! I God, I remember. I know exactly where that is. Those are the ice baths over there, underneath yep. those tents back there. Holy cow! Stacy Tovar. God, crazy. Did you have fun in those days? I had a blast. I had so much fun, man. Competing, coaching, it was it was so good. Yeah, it was a blast, right? Were you there in Southern California when Brooke won? Mm-hmm. Were you her coach then? Yep. Dude, that was fucking nuts. Yep. That was kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, yeah we have, you know, obviously we're so pumped for her. Yeah, I mean, out of nowhere for, I mean, maybe not for you because you guys put in the hard work, but for those of us who were kind of just like the, 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 the pundits and the filmmakers, like, mm-hmm. I mean, we knew she would do well and I, and you know, I would see her around, but I had no idea she was going to come to Del Mar, California and, and wreck shop. That was crazy. Yeah. I mean, she, she went to regionals and the games and I would say just performed at her best and she really, yeah, she just really stepped up to the plate, um, for those two events. Um, is, is, what what happened uh to her is it was um why didn't she continue on that trajectory do you think as an athlete do you think that uh so she is it hard she staying went, she went she yeah she went back the next year i don't i don't think she qualified but yeah she she continued to compete for two or three or more years and i think just wasn't having as much success anymore on the competition side but was having a ton of success professionally Right. And I think it just made sense for her life to to make the switch. Kind of as simple as that. Do you, do you think that she it was because of her her performance, or do you think the field got just better, or both? I think I think a little bit of both. I think that um, yeah, I would say a little bit of both. Because she came in hot then, right? And and. It, I mean, she, she was kind of at an upward trajectory like this, and then she did kind of just vanish from that scene. But you're right. Professionally, she still was everywhere. You know what's crazy? I don't see her anywhere now. She, she's in the sphere that you run in. Do you see her at all? I don't. I, I haven't been on social media very much in several years, so I'm not really in a sphere on the internet, right, oh, per se. Gotcha. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm trying to get back into it now. Um, Why, why did you break away from it? I, yeah, ever since I started using Facebook, I guess in like 08 or 09, I would be on it for a year and then off of it for a year. And the the reason I would always get off is I I I could see even when I was only 19 years old, the impact that it had on my like attention. It was it was so distracting. I could see that I was comparing myself to others way more than when I didn't use it. And yeah, I've never found a way to have a real healthy relationship with it. And honestly, I know very, very few people that do. I think I think many people have been on it for so long without really questioning its impact on them that now they just feel like that's the normal way to live life. Um, but when they take a break from it, they realize how like the mental load that being so plugged in is having on them. So anyway, I, I've just never had a real great relationship with it. However, it is 
just so incredible for spreading a message and building businesses. And, you know, I've got a new business that I'm, that I really care about and that I, I, I want to attract people to. And so I'm, I'm trying to get back in a little bit. Have you seen um, someone uh, get destroyed by uh, social media? Like by, by destroyed, I mean, not they didn't literally get destroyed, but like had a friend and someone posted something about them and it like devastated them. Can you think of that? Or like people who've been no. like, who get rocked by social, like, do you know any people like who look at their likes and they're like upset that like, like I, like I, I, I hear people, I can't even believe it, but I hear people say, oh my God, I can't believe this didn't get more likes. I'm literally fucking dumbfounded when I hear that. Or um, uh, there was, um, you know, recently uh, CrossFit, what was the mistake they made? Oh, they did the open and they put the wrong weights out. So so they did an open workout and the athletes perform with the wrong weights out there, right? Big, huge event, probably cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. They invite out Laura Horvat, who's, um, you know, a legend kind of not kind of a legend in our sport mm-hmm. and then uh gabby magawa big up and comer and they have them do the workout and they put the wrong weights out there and then they apologize on all three platforms they apologize on twitter facebook and instagram and i'm thinking holy shit that's so poignant because the person who who made that decision is someone who's lost in social media like they're like they think that they have an obligation. It's like it's like um I'll give you another example. You know, like when people like something happens in their life and they make a big post, like they go through a divorce or something and they post it on their social media and they have like three hundred thousand followers. And I'm thinking, like, do you think you have like some sort of obligation? Right. Like, like it's so weird. You lost yourself. You forgot that you just nailed it too. You forgot this is a tool for yourself. Mm-hmm. This isn't your um mom. This isn't your dad. This isn't um, your dog where you're leaving town and you need to find someone to take care of it. You owe nobody anything. And so they made this post apologizing on Instagram, Facebook, and um, Twitter. And all it did is it just – it was a a, um, breakfast bell for all the haters. So then all the haters come out and tell you what a dipshit you are. If you want to apologize, just make a simple apology at CrossFitGames.com. But uh, no one would have made that mistake 20 years ago mm-hmm. because everyone kind of knew social media was a tool. And now there's this whole generation, I think you were describing, that's lost in it. Mm-hmm. They think it's like some sort of – they think it's a sentient being. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems sort of like the the new town square. It feels real. It feels like this is where everyone I care about are congregating. And so it feels like – if I'm being, if, if there's disapproval, I'm being, I'm, there's disapproval from the people that really matter to me, which, you know, is, is almost always false. And, you know, I can, I can speak to your, your question was, do I know anyone that has been impacted by things not being liked enough? And, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but me. Yeah. And, you know, I think a part of, I think a part of what drove me to addiction as a teenager was a, a hypersensitivity to social approval, you know, maybe a little bit more or a lot more than, than my peers, but it is part of human nature to be sensitive to approval or disapproval. Right. And it feels like if they don't like what I just posted, especially if, you know, 
Yeah, especially if you're being intentional and and trying hard. Right. <laughs> that they don't like me and they don't approve of me or wow. they think I'm wow. lame. And wow. you know, conceptually, I understand that's not what that means, but then there's a there's a there's sort of a war going on inside of me. There's a there's a kind of a higher self that is right. is you know, calming myself down, but there's a, a lower self that's that just feels tension and wants to keep checking it and wants to think about how to do it differently in the future. And, you know, I feel fortunate that I've built the skills to just watch that whole thing go on inside of me and not allow it to kind of ruin my day or drive my behavior, but it's definitely there. Um, I, I, you kind of couched it in a way that I could guess I could kind of relate. Uh, If, if you're if you're making a post, I guess to get. I guess I don't know why I post. I guess I post just for fun. That's but, great. I mean, I mean that's that's kind of, that must be bullshit. That's bullshit. I don't post just for fun. But I guess if you're posting with the intention that you're trying to generate um, attention for a post, the intention is for intention, and you don't get it. Yeah, that 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 would be a letdown. It's so I don't I don't understand the the I I'll post something that will be like hey um uh here here's the evidence the vaccine is killing people here here it is and it'll have like three likes and uh, <laughs> actually I don't even know how many likes it, and one comment like fuck you asshole yeah 150 then, unsubs <clears throat> yeah 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 and I'm like dude I just fucking could have saved your life what are you doing like like be cool I'm just I just saved your life and and then yesterday I, I hardly ever post anything of myself like like doing stuff yesterday i posted myself doing some dumbbell snatches it has 124 comments or something like that that's more comments than i've gotten in i'm like who the fuck wants why are you commenting it's a 50 year old fucking dude doing dumbbell snatches in his fucking garage like what the fuck is wrong with you so i followed it up with five i followed it up immediately i was pissed off oh and look at look what i put over here to the next it right away i'm like all right fuck you pfizer's killing people like this is like this is me. I'm just pissed. What's the go to the caption of the of the dumbbell snatches? Let's let's take a look at this. What? Uh, There's throwing no the seventy. Oh, it's throwing the seventy pound around today like it's my trabajo, which is just a fucking total <laughs> lie. I'm not, oh, it's man. throwing me around. I'm not throwing shit around. And so it's like you know what I mean. I'm just like it's just like, and I used an R. Kelly song. I should have gotten in trouble. Or no, it's K K. Rel. Oh. Anyway, I, I don't know. I, sometimes I don't understand the, um, I don't, I don't understand the, the I don't understand the people out there. Yeah. Those are all no reps. Cause you put your hand on your knee too. Oh, and that's another crazy thing. Fuck you and my no reps. Those are all <laughs> fucking brilliant. I'll put my knee on your mom's. I'll put my hand on your mom's knee while I do it. <laughs> uh, Jordan. God, that's a man. Michael Cash. That is a he's a fucking lumberjack. This yeah, guy. that's he look at him. He's even got the the plaid uh that is a that's a good shirt. point. I didn't I didn't pick that up. I've started wearing more plaid since moving out to the country. Especially when I when I wield my chainsaw. Um your you have a chainsaw? I do have a chainsaw. We had a storm here where it got just way colder than usual and wow. It was raining, not snowing, raining, and then it froze on the trees. And then that happened over and over for five days. We had hundreds 
of multi-hundred pound limbs fall all over our land. Hundreds. How much property are you on? We have nine acres. Oh my goodness. And and so you went down to Home Depot and got a chainsaw? I did. Did you research them first? No, I've used the chainsaw a little bit. Oh. Holy so I was shit. Cutting up some wood. Have you used a chainsaw, Caleb? What the fuck are you laughing at? Have you yeah. used a chainsaw? We have the same thing happen in Nebraska where we just have limbs falling like in blocking roads and shit. Like the only way to get them out is with a chainsaw. I I have um speaking about embarrassed, um, I have this uh chainsaw, but it's it's on the end of a pole. And yeah, the, pole saw. The, yeah, it's a pole saw. And um I think it's a, even electric. No, it's battery. It's battery operated. Which is electric. <laughs> this thing couldn't cut my dick off. But, <laughs> but it's probably like the man, it's probably like one of the manliest things I have. You know what I mean? Yeah. I pull that thing out. I'm like, come on, boys. We'll Let's go in the backyard and cut some branches. <laughs> yeah, those things are fun, man. It uses a whole thing of oil every time I use it. Like you got to fill Do you have to fill the oil up on yours every time you use it? Well, it uses a gas oil mixture. So when, yeah, they run out together. Oh, and do you pull this? Do you pull a string? Yep. Holy shit. How I'll, cool. s- I'll send you a video next time I'm starting it up. Yeah. Pretty I wonder nice if that, bang. I wonder if that would get a lot of likes. Preferably. <laughs> yes. If you put your hand on my knee. I, I do follow um, this guy, Hunter McIntyre. Not nice. I follow this guy, Hunter McIntyre, and I like it. Um, he, he cuts wood with an axe. Like, nice. You know, as part, and I like watching that. I don't I bet know you why. do. I bet yeah. you do. It's, 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 it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling. Oh, my goodness. Battery chainsaw. Thank you. Pride flag. You're a good dude. All right. Uh, so, so you're raised in, you're raised in Louisiana and a good childhood. Yeah. Great childhood, man. Are you a handsome kid? Do girls like you? Yeah. I was a kind of a popular kid. I had girlfriend and stuff and my parents loved each other and. Oh shit. Sorry, Michael. It is a Ryobi. I know it sucks. God damn it. I wish no one would have called me out on that. Yeah. That's the cheap shit at home Depot. Damn it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever. I only use it once and throw it away and buy a new one. Okay, sorry. Okay, so you're a handsome like, kid. You're like Justin Louisiana. Bieber with his apples. He just it takes the first bite of an apple. And just throws it? Throws it. Good. That's a good dude. Wants <laughs> throw them away. That's right. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Ha- uh, handsome young lad, good parents uh, growing up in Louisiana. Yep. Uh, and the kids liked you. The kids liked me. And around, yeah, that, when I, on my ninth birthday, I it is the first time I drank by myself. I, I took two shots of whiskey, and um, over not, the next, nine years old, nine years old, I had two. Can you give older, me the details of that? How you ended up with whiskey at nine? I drank yeah. a little champagne at five. I was fucked. Nice, up. nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was my, my ninth birthday, and I had a slumber party at my grandma's house. My dad sleeping on a couch on the other side of the room and I'm behind a kitchen Island with two older cousins. And we, and we open the, the, we open the Island, these little drawers and there's a bunch of alcohol. And one of them says, Oh, we should drink some of this Jack Daniels. And we drank a couple How old shots. are they? How old were they? They were 10. They were 10. Big kids. And yeah, very big kids, the cool kids. And yeah, we drank it. And, you know, I felt that, that warm rush a little, a little, 
lower inhibitions, a little more comfortable around them. And man, the acceptance from the older kids was just. You really remember that, huh? I do. I do. And yeah, the reason I started talking about this is, you know, I was, I was well-liked and I always fit in. And, you know, when I was 13 or 14, I started smoking weed and then taking pills and nicotine. Did you fuck with nicotine? I did. Yeah. I started, I, I pretended to smoke cigarettes when I was nine. And then at some point someone pointed out that I wasn't inhaling. Right. <laughs> and yeah, when I was 15 or 16, I started going to therapy and then AA because my parents thought I had a problem and maybe I did already. And when I, when, when that happened, I started to feel like I didn't belong. I just felt different. And despite being popular, I just always felt uneasy and uh, alone in a way after that, which I think uh, drove me drove me further into addiction. Uh, um, uh, I, 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 the the uneasy part, I, I, um, it's kind of those are two interesting things to feel t- together because when I feel uneasy, I want to be alone. Hmm. I'm not, I'm not, um, I like, I, I want to like, look at, I want to, I want to like, um, you know, like when you hear something in a room and you open the door and you look in there and you want to see what it is, it's like, I, I'm, I become very curious what that uneasiness is. And I want to look at it with no one around. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's interesting that you would feel uneasy and alone. Did you not like feeling alone? Like you, when you say that, you mean that in a negative way? Yeah, I really did not like feeling alone. And what I'm talking about is like I would be surrounded by friends. So technically not alone, but I would feel I would feel different. And and I guess to put some some detail to it, I was spending three, four nights sometimes going to AA meetings. Mm-hmm. Were you the only my, kid there? Were you the only kid there? I was the only I was by far the youngest, yes. By like far. just by, by all these years. fucking weathered motherfuckers in Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Extreme. I can only Extreme. imagine. Yes. And yeah, there was a part of me that there's a part of me that was going to uh-huh. check a box. And, you know, sometimes my dad was literally in the car outside, but uh-huh. yeah. So checking a box and the part of me that just felt like, my life was not going in a good direction and yeah. felt drawn to the depth of conversation, just the, the realness in the room. Uh-huh. But then my, all my friends were, were, you know, hanging out together. Oh, and shit. so I just felt, I just felt different. Um, do you think that, uh, the, the thing that I'm kind of glomming onto is you were, you were in this room with just like real people who were like digging in the dirt and then your friends, it's just like, superficial shit just like capping on people getting new shoes smoking weed no i didn't i i wasn't picking up on that at the time i I was still very much wanting to do everything my friends did but felt like attracted to the to the depth in the in the aa meetings but what what i mean when i say i felt different is like i told myself they all have a relationship with each other that they no longer have with me like they spend way more time together than they do with me and I'm, yeah, I'm just living this, this different existence. Hey, when you would hang out with them, would they be getting high and drinking? Yes. And I would be too. Oh, and then you, so, so you'd be high and getting drinking and then go back to AA the next day. I would go loaded to the AA meetings many times, probably most times. 
Holy shit. Oh, that's a struggle. That that's some that's some that's not fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, not, that, so, that wasn't fun. You couldn't enjoy either, right? You were stuck between two worlds. You couldn't enjoy getting fucked up and you couldn't because you were too, it's like sun do you remember Sundays and you had school on Monday? I hated Sundays. Terrible. I'm so glad my life's not like that anymore. <laughs> yes. I fucking no, hate shit. that. I'm so glad I never have to be like, oh, it's Sunday and I'm stressing the whole time about Monday morning. Right. Your yeah, whole so life I, is like I was, that, right? I was putting I was putting a mask on for every different group of people that yeah. I spent time with. So that I, you know, I had this this kind of junky risk taker mask for my friends. I had the like wise young guy mask for the AA people. I had yeah. this um, you know, good son mask for my parents and family. And I had never even glimpsed the real me as a kid. Um, did you, I don't think I did either. Did you, and, and I, I really wanted to make my parents happy and I, and I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> did you want to make yes, your man. parents happy? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had great parents. My mom and dad loved the <laughs> shit out of me. And I think that's okay. I, I think that's okay that I kind of lost myself in wanting to make them happy. Um, I, j- just if you're a parent and you, and you see like my kids do that, they're in that they've lost, they've lost a little bit of themselves and they just want to make me happy. But then what that does, I guess, is put a shitload of responsibility on me to make sure I don't take their eye off them. Cause and, and, and I don't take my eye off of where I'm leading them. Right. Mm. Like, like, do you think at some point, like maybe your dad should have been like, fuck you were moving. I'm not, you're not going to be around those. You're not going to do any drinking anymore. I'm taking you to Kenya. We're going to live out in the desert for four months. Like, that's what I think I would Possibly. do to my kids. So I guess I think I have multiple answers. You know, I don't regret anything that happened in my past because it sure. got me to where I am today, which I'm so grateful for. My entire family is grateful for having gone through what we went through. We're so much closer as a result of it. Yeah. And if, you know, if if my son was getting into addiction when he was 15 or 16, yeah, maybe I would consider what you're talking about because in retrospect, like I'd go so, nuclear. I'd fucking just sell the house. I would kidnap him. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't give a fuck. Yeah. May, I think, maybe, I think maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I would move. Um, and I don't think anyone can know until they're in, in that situation. You know, I, I know that they were just doing the very best they could with the, the right. mental and physical resources that they had. And I think that, I think they made, a really courageous decision to send me away when I was 17. I just imagine it was so, so painful for them and they did it anyway. And they, where did they they, send you to Utah? I went to a wilderness therapy program. Oh, what was that? What's that called? Second nature. Oh, is there one called outward bound? Bound. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think as far as I know, like a similar, a similar deal to outward bound. Yeah, one of my friends did that too. I thought I thought one of the things is is that they didn't take kids. Who were this one does. Out, outward bound might not. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, so 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 at so so you were you you were using steadily from nine years old to no, it's, it's basically fourteen. But I started okay. experimenting with stuff when I was nine. Okay. And then like, I got drunk for the first time when I was five. And then I took a hiatus, probably like I, I took <laughs> nice. a 10, I took, you were wise, man. I took a 10 year break. You saw where that was headed. Uh, so 
um, freshman, sophomore, and junior year, uh, basically doing it all, me- meaning yeah. um, smoking weed and drinking and smoking cigarettes. Anything crazier than that? Any like meth or coke? Yeah, b- both of those and ecstasy. And I was taking uh, painkillers and benzos every day for years. And then I got into Oxycontin. And then right before I left, I started. Wow, that's up. hardcore. You started what? I started shooting up cocaine and Oxycontin. Um, at what point did you did, did you want out? Like, was there a point like like uh, after the first year you want out, and then it was just two more years of just this teeter totter of in and out, in and out? I felt an increasing amount of shame due uh-huh. to just living out of line with the values that were instilled in me from my parents. Uh-huh. But I thought that the solution was to, to be more liked by these friends that were also doing hard drugs yeah, and to yeah. get more acceptance and admiration and respect from my peers. I thought that was the solution. And I, and I just didn't see the, the, yeah, the option of getting out entirely didn't even occur to me. And so when I was sent away, I was, I would say I was partially, um, willing when I was sent away, I was a minor, so they, they could send me whether I wanted to or not, but I was definitely partially willing, but I had, I had read this book called scar tissue, which is, which is Anthony Kiedis's autobiography. And in it, he goes to a number of like 30 day rehabs in Malibu. And it sounded really cush. And, you know, he hung out with hot chicks every now and then I, I thought I was going to go to one of those. Oh, and then when I found out I was going to live in the desert for nine weeks, I was pissed. And then when I found out I was going to go to a nine month inpatient treatment center after that, I was not happy about it at all. And when I got to that inpatient treatment, uh, I, I, I played ball for about a month. And then I realized my 18th birthday was coming up in about three or four months and I completely shut down. I didn't do any therapy and any schoolwork and I completely shut down until my birthday and I had every intention of, of leaving. And did you? So 18th birthday comes around. Everyone knows I'm leaving. I packed both of my bags. I packed all of my shit into big black trash bags and I had written down my plan every day in my journal, probably multiple times a day. This is my, my grand plan. I was going to carry my shit walked down to the 7-Eleven. I was going to steal two 40-ounce cans of beer just because I was just so miserable and needed to needed to escape. And then I was going to go pawn. I knew I had an iPod and a pair of like Ray-Bans or Oakley glasses, pawn those, hoping I could get a, a Greyhound bus ticket, go back to Louisiana. And then because I, I was born with a genetic uh, back disorder and I, I had back pain starting when I was 13, I knew I could lie to doctors and get a prescription for opiates. And so wow, this gonna, is a thorough plan. I was going to get opiates from a bunch of different doctors and I was just going to start selling. And that was, that was the life that I was looking forward to. So then my, my birthday hits and yeah, there it is. 
That's not. Oh, good. let's talk. Let's talk about that. I'll make a note here. I want to ask you about that surgery. Okay, go on. So, so yeah. So my eighteenth uh, birthday comes, and I have. Can I go back packed. one second? So sorry. So it's it was. You went away to this camp for se- how many weeks? Seven weeks. Nine weeks. Nine weeks at the camp, and then uh, you're then it's going to be another nine months at a facility, a rehab facility. Yep. And and then and then you're there for two months, and then there's the escape plan. Correct. Yeah. Okay. 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 So, so the, the day of escape uh, arrives. Yep. And I was obviously crying out for help because technically I could have just walked out, but what I did instead is I went into my therapist's office once I, once I had packed up and I spent three or four hours in there just with him and another therapist sort of trying to talk me into staying And I just remember bawling my eyes out, just so terrified because my parents had made it clear that they weren't going to support me. I wasn't going to come and live with them. And I was on my own. And I was caught between feeling desperate to use drugs because I didn't want to feel what I was feeling and terrified of what would happen to my whole life if I stepped out of that door. And then they can't, you know, they, they finally say, okay, we have other people we need to see. You got to make a decision here and say, I'm going to leave, but I'm just going to call and tell my mom that I'm going before I go. And I call and she picks up the phone and she was at the beach and she had been expecting me and she answers and she's immediately crying. And her voice sounded. What do you mean so, she was expecting you? She, because I had been telling them for. Oh, fuck you. I'm out of here. Fuck you. I'm out of here. Right. And so, she, yeah, she was expecting that I was leaving. And so she assumed I was calling to, to you know, finalize it and let her know. And I just remember, I'll probably never forget that moment. Her voice was so pitiful. And you know, broken as she was trying to, trying to get her words out. And she just, she was begging me. She said, Michael, please don't do this to me. I feel like I'm losing a son today. And I, I sobbed again more. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, in the end, I couldn't do it to her. I couldn't yeah. break her heart. Yeah. And so I decided to stay. And in the beginning, I was doing it for her. And I was, then I was doing it for my family. And after a month or two, I started to, yeah, I started to invest in therapy and just do what all of the other guys were doing, which was trying to tune into what I was feeling, share that, share my stories. And I started to glimpse a, a future that was more compelling to me than, than what I had been dreaming up for myself before, which is one of freedom and of, of possibility. You know, I, I, I felt the freest I had ever felt in my body, in my mind. I felt accepted for who I really was, not for the, the mass that I was putting on. And in this facility, you felt this, I felt that. Yeah. You know, because there are 10, 15 other guys that are going through the same thing. Did you feel like a failure because you didn't escape? Was it like this fucking, like kind of this gross, like 
failure? Not really. No, and okay. I, I've never thought about it this way until now, but I think it was maybe important for me to almost leave, but then decide not to because I was expressing my autonomy. Yeah. I needed, I've always been hyper-independent and I need to make decisions for myself. And uh, I needed to maybe prove to myself like, okay, I'm doing this of my own volition. No one's controlling me anymore. Uh, uh. Um, when you, now that you have a kid, you must trip on what you put your mom through, right? Could you imagine? <sighs> oh, shit. Just now the whole time you're telling me the story, I'm pretending like it's one of my kids. And I'm tripping. Yeah, I'm like, man. fuck, maybe I shouldn't have had kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that must have fucking fucked her up. What a crazy emotional journey. I, I like what you said, too, that you, you you don't regret any of it and your family doesn't regret any of it. I mean, it really is true. People don't understand. It's like those are treasure troves of, of experiences you have now, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 I mean, it was literally shit at the time, and now it's t- somehow turned to just pure gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and if I could prescribe, I don't know if this would be the one thing, but I would prescribe this to every family in the world, which would be hire or or consult with a third party, an objective third party to have deep discussions with for your, with your whole family. You know, maybe some families don't don't really need the the third party. Well, <clears throat> you go ahead. What's that look like? What do you mean? I you, you kind of lost me there. What yeah. So ha- basically, have family therapy. Do family therapy. Do it. And you don't necessarily need it if you have a a family culture of just having deep discussions uh-huh. as things arise, as tensions arise, as differences of opinions arise. Mm-hmm. But most people don't, and you know now they're in a place where they have a lot of unresolved tension in their family. And it would really help to have someone to help them navigate through the murkiness of, of those tough conversations. Am I making sense now? Kind of. I I just need, I'm I'm kind of a rock in these things. I just need an example. So you're saying like, if you have, if like mom and dad and like there's, there's three siblings and one of the siblings is coming out gay, don't like the whole family should sit down together and be like, yo, Johnny's coming out gay. And then, and then, the mom's like, that's so hard for me because I wanted you to be straight and have kids and then and just talk it out. Like, fuck yeah. Fuck like build, yeah. like build that fucking relationship. Maybe you got to start that shit early. Absolutely and then the kid yells not. back, you're so Absolutely. selfish. It's not about you. And then, you know, and then you just, you just have it out. Yeah. And so, yes, do all. And, of and that. then also, and- or, 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 or like maybe like your siblings got together. Sorry, Michael. And then they say, um, uh, mom, dad, we want to tell you something. Michael's fucking starting to shoot up. And you're like, <laughs> you're saying just have that powwows. Yes. yes. And I, the, the, the part of, I don't feel betrayed, Michael. Like <laughs> when I hear about interventions, like interventions, like my, my friend's wives have done to them, like my friends on drugs and they do a fucking intervention on them. I'm like, if my wife fucking did that to me, I would fucking go out and fuck her sister. Like, I would be <laughs> pissed. I would feel betrayed. What about that part? No. Uh, betrayed by the people like coming together to, to surprise you with an intervention is that what you're yeah asking? just my wife like if my wife did that i guess i guess i'm conflating ideas sorry i kind of jumped a gun that's di- an yeah intervention i would say, is different I would than, say my smaller my smaller together. self would yeah. would would chalk it up as a betrayal my higher self would see that they love me so much they're willing to risk my 
being defensive and my distancing myself and my backlash at them for my health and for my life. Right. And yeah, there's a piece, uh, the the reason I, I recommend possibly a third party, an objective third party, like a trained person is very few people have the communication skills to navigate those tough conversations. We just don't value that in our society. And that's part of the reason why we don't have conversations when we need to have them. And we wait until they become really big deals. Like what if we had them when the problems were in their infancy, right? And we could, we could come up with solutions together and we could love people, um, you know, through, yeah, love people enough so that they don't have to keep making the same mistakes. Yeah. You really nailed it. Sometimes when my, one of my kids is hurt, I feel like just getting the whole, like, like emotionally hurt, like something happened, right? Like he feels like the other kids are mean to him. I feel like just getting the family together and holding hands around the kid. And just, we all take turns telling them we love them. Like some, I like, love hip, that, like man. some hit, like some hippie circle. They, yeah, they used man. to do this. They used to do this thing at, um, in Del Mar, uh, Invictus did it. This is kind of a weird tie in, but they did a love tunnel for Josh Bridges and the whole affiliate would hold hands like this. We got like 60, a hundred people and they'd make a tunnel and he would run through it and they called it the love tunnel. And I fucking love that. I was like, because he was a little bit shorter than everyone. and he had a chip <laughs> on I, I, But I don't know. I mean, I think he still had to duck, right? We but I'm just short people too. I, I'm just saying it was just so great that that is beautiful. He would run through all of the bodies of the people and his affiliates, and they and 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 just it was so great. I thought it was. I, I, I other affiliates should do that. The love tunnel for their athletes. Yeah, and, and, and families, man. To your point, our, our lizard brain is the oldest part in our brain, and that part is soothed. You know, that's that that's our, our fight or flight, and that yeah. part is soothed and comforted with physical touch. Oh. So if we, I think if we go there during conflict and hard times first. Yeah. We just, we were able to hear each other so much faster. Oh, I was just talking with the, uh, Josh Bridges about that. He was on the show the other day and I was, I love shaking hands with people. The fifth bump is just really bums me. I mean, (laughs) there's a place for it. Like if you're running by someone, but like if I met you in person, I'd want to hug you or shake your hand. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so much better. You have a son. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a son and a daughter. Son is two and a half. Daughter is, is six months. And yeah, one, one thing I, I want to mention Please. Uh, about starting, starting young, it, I was in the car with my son maybe three months ago and I was driving and I was trying to send someone a voice note and I would, I would speak for maybe 10 seconds, make a little mistake or stutter, and then I would delete it and I would just do it again and again and again. And after three or four times, he said, Bubba, he calls me Bubba. Bubba, what are you doing? And I didn't answer him. <laughs> I didn't answer him. And then I'd do it again. Bubba, what are you doing? And then I do it one more time and he screams at me, Bubba, what are you doing? And I had this moment. Where I thought to myself, I thought to myself, okay, he's not going to understand why I'm doing this, Uh but there's never going to be a moment 
where it's clear that he does understand this kind of thing. And so I'm going to start the practice of just being real with him right now. And I said, I turned to him and I was like, buddy, sometimes Bubba gets a little nervous and he wants to sound perfect to people. And I'm just deleting this thing over and over trying to, trying to sound better to this, to my friend that I'm sending this voice note to. And that was it. And what, yeah, my belief is that by, by starting to practice now, when he can actually understand, and maybe the stakes feel higher because I might be embarrassed to more embarrassed to tell him I've already, I'm already developing the, the muscle of doing this. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting. Oh, that's a great photo. Is, is that a girl, by the way, the, the one on the ground? Yep. Dude, you are going to be blown away when she surpasses his talking abilities at two. She, I remember when Avi was yeah, four right, and we would meet, we would meet two year old girls and they would start talking circles around them. Girls I didn't know you had a little girl. I don't, I don't. We would oh, just okay. meet other girls. I thought my boys were the smartest fucking kids in the world <laughs> until you meet a girl. Nice. Yeah. Um, there's this uh, five-year-old girl that they play tennis with and and my son's eight and he's smart. He got a big Jew brain and this five-year-old oh, you're girl, Jewish too. I'm not my, my wife is. Oh, okay. We got, I got a couple of Jews too. Yeah. Right. Jewish. Right. You married Jewish. Yeah. And, uh, and um, the girls are just nuts, dude. They are, they, it's not even, you know, when you're a kid, they're like, yeah, girls develop faster. It's, it's not even that they develop faster. They develop. Boys are like rocks. I mean, my, they are like, we're, we're such, totally ca- we're such cavemen. Yes. But, but when you see a young girl around a boy, you start to really realize it. Uh, Trish, uh, excellent interview. Top 10. Thank you for your testimony, uh, Mr. Cashew. Oh, thank you, uh, Trish. Heidi Krum, uh, anyone else? Nine ninety nine. I, I felt I felt the tear ducts turn on for a second. I, I quickly uh, turned them off. Uh, Jessica T, great talk. Why? Thank you. What's all this money? Don't worry about that. That's, <laughs> that has nothing to do with you. Uh, Clydes, uh, uh, Clydesdale Media, amazing story. Thank you for sharing, Mister Cashew. So funny. Oh, how the internet has changed since the year you've left the podcast space. How dare you abandon amazing. your listeners? <laughs> because you lost interest mr Cashew. robert myers uh five dollars uh robert wow uh, robbie uh i haven't all of a sudden i'm seeing you around more with your flat bill nice to see you mr casey um do, can you see the comments i mean not the ones that i put up on the screen but the ones that are no. in the live no yeah um so ba- basically we're live and there's uh 167 people watching and and it's a pretty there's a morning i do this show every morning at 7 a.m so there's a really active crew in here of just people. So cool, man. Yeah. So a lot of times, look at this guy, Barry my Cockiner. Uh, great combo as always. <laughs> it took me six months to realize this guy's name was fake. Uh, uh, and then and then there's just so there's you can do this whole conversation with this crew. That's so good. And then this is also the crew that sends me DMs on my Instagram. And so they send me stories that they might want to talk about or see. And so then I, I uh, curate them and then we do these live call-in shows and I just bring stuff up and, uh, and it's cool. The, the, That's it, great, I can't believe it's, uh, we call it kind of like, do you remember Tosh? Yes. Uh, yes. It's kind of like a low rent, the poor man's Tosh. Nice. Yeah. That's it's, great. Um, yeah. Every day at seven. That's, that's a commitment, man. Good for you. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm addicted. I'm what fucking are you addicted, addicted to? Um, the likes? 
No, uh, not, um, not the, uh, the like, I don't think we'd actually get very many likes and, and we're shat. I think we're like banned. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the process because the show, because I've been doing the show for two years and I'm, um, it, I, I'm getting better. I'm finding myself. I'm finding my voice. The show's, mm. the show's getting better. Like yesterday, a friend, a guy called me a friend and a friend of mine and he has a son and his son's 18 years old and um i heard his son say something dude you're the funniest guy i've ever heard sevon i guess you are likes and that rocked me because like that's all i ever want to be is funny mm. right that's awesome man. and it was like holy fucking 18 year old thinks i'm funny and and i and i work on it so like during the day i'm like i'm like i'm I'm rehearsing like skits or funny things I want to say, or I, I reflect on maybe that was inappropriate. What I did there, how can I make it better? So I'm just addicted to the process and, and maybe, maybe it is the likes, maybe I'm fooling myself, but there's this crazy instant feedback. I last night when I went to bed, I was like, man, Haley, I'm starting to like really like these people I hang out with every morning. It's weird. Cause I don't even know them. Look at this person, Jenna tolls. You get it? Yes, I do. <laughs> no i don't want to meet any that's the thing i don't want to meet any of these people uh, manny serrano i did meet i did actually have a drink with manny in newport once nice. someone's the real ceo of crossfit uh david weed see and then there's assholes you're not funny i am funny i am <laughs> i'm starting to realize that's really great to to hear that you're yeah it feels like you're maybe stepping further into your life's purpose if you will like yeah. you're, you're 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 in your calling and i i don't think of a calling as like a single thing it, i think of it kind of like a, a peeling back of the onion and you're obviously following your heart and you know you're good at it and you just feel it seems like you're you're on your path and you know it and then there's also this really awesome thing about the internet where you can get feedback for it really quickly, which a feels good, but in terms of development, it is, it's pure gold for any sort of, of knowledge work like this, having this type of a feedback loop is just, it helps us grow so much faster. Oh, I like the way you said that. Yeah. Feedback loop. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and when I started, you know, there would only be like 40 listeners. And like last night we did a show and the live show had like a thousand listeners live when we went cool, last night. Man. Yeah. And yeah, um, I, I, I wouldn't say I was embarrassed that there were 40 and I still don't think a thousand is a lot, but after doing it for two years, I'm so grateful for every single person who listens. Like I, I know that sounds cheesy because I feel like we, we, I built this relationship with those people and they built this relationship with me. Like we earned each other. That's so it's, yeah, so it's kind of a trip. Uh, Philip Kelly, I love meeting you in person, Sevi. Thank you. I love meeting you too. Much more handsome and buff than I imagine. Uh, I disagree with thirty percent of everything Sevon says. Come on, fifty percent, fifty percent. Um, the the why why does someone go to shooting up? What was the did did you see someone else do it first, and and you were up for the adventure, or well, I think the, yeah, I had always put shooting up in a category that was like, that means you're fucked up and, right. and, and I'm never going to go there. And then I read scar tissue and he's just talking about shooting up and 
although the last half of the book is him recovering, uh-huh. it feels like a lot of the stories were sort of glorified almost. And it, and it sounded amazing. It sounded like the most euphoric feeling a human being could possibly have. And so that seed was planted by literally reading that book. And then one of my close friends started shooting up and I, I told him at some point, Hey, I want to do this. It's it's funny. Cause when I was thinking about maybe not asking you because some, cause I used to watch the show mad men uh, on, on TV. I don't know if you know the show, but the guys, the guys always smoking and drinking. And whenever I would watch the show, I'd want to smoke and drink. Right. You don't want to trigger me or, or, or anyone out in the, out, I not, see, not, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't even think of you. Sorry. <laughs> but, I, but I was thinking about other people, man, drugs are crazy, right? Because you, there's only two endings, right? You either die or you quit. And they both aren't fun. Neither of them. Not are necessarily. Fun, right? The third no. one is you live a long, miserable life. Really? That happens. Yeah. You're getting sober and, and relapsing and getting sober and relapsing, or you're, you know, you become homeless and live like a shell of an existence for a very long time. And maybe you have a shorter life, but. And, and you eventually you can, especially with methamphetamines, you can do so much damage that you can never come back. I don't know. I, that I, sounds right. And by come back, I mean, I don't mean that you don't quit, but you'll be different. You're, you will have, you know, it's, it's like our friend, you you have those, I'm sure you have those friends who did so much acid and they're just like, Oh no, something happened. Mm -hmm. I'm not coming back. Like part of you got stuck in another world. Yeah. Especially in informative years. I so don't want that to happen to my kids. Yeah. What do you think your orientation will be around? They're them using experimenting with drugs. Is it like hell? No, you can't do any of this. Or yeah, yeah, hell no. I, I, I will. I will protect them and keep them sheltered for as long as fucking humanly possible. Yeah, they won't get. I won't ever buy them a cell phone. They won't be allowed to do any of that shit. They won't. I'll, I'll, I'll hope the first time that they they put their penis in a vagina that they've never seen porn. Hmm. And and I mean I, I don't know if I'll succeed, but I don't want them to see four hundred. Uh, pieces of porn before the first time they're with a girl. I want them to be like, I want them to have the same experience I had. Like, holy shit, yeah. I think I just touched someone's bra. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I fucking touched a bra. Well, look, I had watched a lot of porn by the time <laughs> I saw a bra and I still felt that way. Yeah. Okay. Good, 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 good. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. I wonder, do you have any concern about them either feeling like you're controlling them? Yeah, I guess it's all like, do you feel like they'll, they'll, they'll rebel yeah. against a perceived control? I, I justified that as we all are going to rebel against our parents mm. at some point. And I just want them to have all the fucking tools humanly possible to succeed before they give me the fuck you. I expect the fuck you. Right. At some point, they're going to yeah. fucking give me the double middle finger and 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 do something crazy. Get into fucking uh those squirrel jumpsuits or some shit or, or like apply to go to Mars. No, God, one I way hope, that they would get I back hope they you. don't do that either, dude. I do not want my kids being astronauts or going to space. Fuck that. I Sorry, mean, your, your, your kids are so active. <laughs> one way that they could get back at you that I feel like might really get under your skin is just really devote themselves to becoming couch potatoes. Yeah. Playing video games all day, eating complete shit and, yeah. uh, you know, doing nothing with their life. 
They would have to, it's going to be so hard for them to get out of my clutch until, <laughs> until, until they're 18, until they can put the yeah. bat until, although they're going to be able to beat me up by the time they're 12. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I have no idea what I will do when they're old enough to even consider experimenting with things. But there's a part of me that wonders if there's a benefit to them like being able to do it and feel comfortable enough sharing it with me so that I can. Yes. That too. That's the tricky part. They have, I want them to be able to share it with me too. If they do, if they do, like they've already shared some shit with me. I'm like, Holy fuck. How did you do that? Like I, I have my eyes on you at all times. I can't even believe you did that. Yeah. Like they, they've told me some shit. That's cool. That's great that you, that yeah. you've yeah. created that safety. Yeah. I think one of the ways that I will create safety is just being really transparent about my stories without glorifying them. And, you know, without trying to make my son think I'm cool, you know, uh, related to like the women I slept with or the, the crazy stories I have share the stories and the consequences of those stories and sort of what I learned from them. That's, that's sort of my best plan right now along those lines i i see parents give their kids too much information hmm. um and, and and they project their own um i'm going to try to think of an example they project their own so i'll give you an example so i, I was raised that um uh, uh i was raised that abortion was uh, um I was raised that abortion was okay, pro-choice, right? But I was never talked to about abortion. And so I was given this picture that like, hey, it's it's women's rights. It's a women's health issue. I was couched it without, without ever explaining to me like, hey, arguments can be couched to manipulate you and you need to see both sides and you need to ask questions. Like my parents gave me their ideology, their mm. liberal ideology around abortion. When, when that's it – and they closed me off when they did that. They sealed me into a bag by giving me that. Yeah. And I want to be very careful not to do that to my kids, except in places that I'm com- that it's at all expense. It's to um, protect them from life or death issues. And so, and so I, I'm a little careful. Like if so, like my kids will ask, I'm trying to think. Um, so my kids are very interested of how they got into mom's stomach. But I'm not going to tell them until they can ask the questions to get the information they need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love like, that. That's great. Like, like, like uh, how did we get in there? Uh, <clears throat> what do you mean? How did you get in there? What, what, where were we before? I don't know. I don't know where you were before. Well, uh, what happens when you die? I don't know. There's a couple of uh, prevailing theories, you know, and maybe I'll, I'll tell them a couple. I'm like, the one says that like you go this one book over here and, but then I like, and there might be other shit too. I always tell them like, I don't know. You got, you're going to have to. And then I always like, and if you do want to know, you can go down this path of like sitting still every day for an hour and just focus on your breath. And supposedly that you could get the answer that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to just, I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't want to, I don't want to seal them off except in, I don't want to seal them off, I guess from, because that, because that's, that's what happened to me. I got sealed off, but, but some things I feel like you should seal off. Um, though, yeah, the ones that you're, you feel really certain about. 
Well, or or just want like you need you need a strong grounding in who you are. So I I, I don't let they don't get to choose whether they're a boy or a girl. Like I ground they don't get to choose whether they're um uh, black or Hispanic or Asian. Look, your fucking dad's Armenian, your mom's a Jew, you have a cock, you're a dude. You go to jujitsu five days a week. Your name is Avi. I mean, on some level, some of these things might not be true, but I'm going to p- pound those into them and seal those off. And if they really want to go deep when they're older, they can. I mean, don't you wish, Michael, like in, in hindsight, don't you wish you would have never done any? Like, don't you curious what you'd be like if you would have never done any of those drugs? Like, I wish no. – I, I don't want to say I regret it, but part of me like really wishes I would have ne- – and I don't I don't fix it, but I wish I never had smoked a cigarette. I wish I'd never taken it. I've smoked so much fucking weed, and I just think, what did I do to my lungs? I just think of the physical damage I might have done. Like just every morning packing a gram in and trying to suck down the whole thing with a fucking butane lighter. The yep. crack torch. Yep. And if I fail, dump it out and pack another gram and try again. It's like, what the fuck did I do to my lungs? Doesn't a party wish like, and that's why I'm like, I don't want my kids to do that. Because in hindsight, it's not that I regret it. It's that I can't get those lungs back. I would say a part of me wonders what that would have been like, yeah. but I really value my depth. And I don't think I would have cultivated the depth without the pain that I went through. For sure. You know, I, um, do, yeah, I feel like it, it helps me appreciate my life so much more than some people that haven't gone through some of the trials that I've gone through. Like, yeah, I think they, they tend to take things for granted a little more. Yeah. It helps me connect with a, a broader range of people. Yeah. I have a bunch of reasons why I value it, but um, I definitely wonder what it would Did be you like. Ever have, do you have a rock bottom moment? Um, I would say that the first time I shot up was somewhat of a rock bottom moment. That was the first. So the, I had, I've had a lot of friends die and this was the first, the first friend of mine that died of a drug overdose. His name was Tyler. He was 16 and he took Oxycontin and Xanax and he went to sleep next to one of my other best friends and he never woke up. And I was, I was traveling when he had his funeral, but then he had a memorial. And instead of going to his memorial, I chose to shoot up for the first time. Wow. This is in Louisiana In Louisiana. Yeah. And I where felt, were you, where were you when you shot up in someone's in, house? I think in the back of my mom's suburban. Wow. Like I, I was just driving her suburban for whatever reason. And I just remember feeling like a fucking piece of shit. You didn't even get like to enjoy it. You weren't like, yeah, this is high as I'm high. As mixed fuck. feelings, mixed feelings. Man. And um, and how many times do you think you shot up? Maybe a hundred. So you don't have a rock bottom moment. What what about that moment um, when you were uh, talking to your mom and in in the rehab? That was, uh, yeah, that was like a, that was definitely a painful experience. Um, But I felt Yeah, when I made the decision to stay, I suddenly felt more connected to my family and in rapport with them. 
let me let me ask the question differently than rock bottom you ever had a moment where you're like you're ready to give up and die where you kind of like you turn to the heavens Mm. and you say i'm done take me yeah i had i had several several moments where i not several moments i had a i had a period of time maybe three to six months where i contemplated suicide and one day i put my dad's pistol in my mouth and I don't think I was actually that close to pulling the trigger, but I was, I had been thinking about it a lot and I wanted to see what that felt like. Right. Test run, test run, test run. And yeah, in that period of time, I was just feeling so, so depressed. And I was, I was probably being grounded a ton, like my entire high school career. And yeah, I had a, a, a lot of moments where I, I, imagined it would just be easier if I wasn't alive anymore. Um, did, did you, did, did you ever, uh, are you a religious guy? Was your family religious? I grew up Catholic and never liked it. And so as soon as I had the the opportunity, I rebelled against that. I guess I always rebelled, but I, I called myself an atheist as soon as I left Louisiana. And um, yeah, I've had a, a quite a, quite a journey in, in terms of spirituality and religion, but yeah, I grew up with that and rebelled. And then now I, now I have a lot of appreciation for it. I don't I identify as religious, but a ton of appreciation for it. Um, uh, this uh, Eric says, how do you think your parents could have, uh, loved better to support you in a way to not have made those decisions? Do you think your parents could have done anything? I definitely don't know the answer to that, but what what comes up for me that may have been helpful is, I mean, the thing is they couldn't have possibly done anything differently because they didn't have the tools. But if mm-hmm. they had a better understanding of their own emotions and were able to express their emotions to me clearly without making me wrong for their emotions, I think that could have helped. So specifically, what I felt from them was anger and disappointment that, and that's what I, that's all I thought they were feeling. So there was one experience where it was the first time I failed a drug test for everything. This was a really, you know, big step down in my life and, and in my perception with my parents. And I remember my dad looking at the panel and screaming, and I was in another room screaming for me to come in the room and he was fuming and he, and he said something like, are you fucking crazy? You're throwing your life away, blah, 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 blah. And I think my mom was maybe doing a little bit of the same and, and probably a little quieter. And my perception was that, Oh, they're so angry with me. And yeah, they're so angry with me. <clears throat> now that I have the understanding of emotions that I have, what I understand is that they were afraid. They were afraid that their son was going to kill himself or kill someone else. And if I could have felt their fear, right. If they would have come to me without the explosive energy and said, um, you know, something like, you know, Michael, you're your own person. And I just want you to know how, like what's going on for me. And I'm just terrified that you're going to die and you're going to throw your whole life away. And if I could have, seen them cry from that standpoint, I think that would have invoked my natural empathetic response. 
I would have um, felt felt. So they saw that they felt something, and then what you witnessed was not what they felt, but their reaction to what they felt. This is a very yeah. this is a very very common problem with human communication. Very, yeah. and, and most people don't even know they're doing it. I mean, uh, that you're actually responding to your analysis rather than to what they actually said. It, it, yes. It's called being trapped in your head or reading into something, or it's crazy. It's crazy. Or it's called the yes. week before your wife's period. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, how old are you? Right now, 32. Yeah. Um, are you? Did you ever relapse after that 18-year-old uh, adventure? I did. Yeah, six months later after rehab, I had a really bad relapse, and it only lasted a week. And then, yeah, that was like 15 years ago. 14, 14 years ago. Are, are you in the clear? What do you mean by that? Like, do I have uh, cravings and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in the clear. And so what Is that dangerous is, to even say that? Can you say that? Some people would say it's dangerous to say it. But here, I'll, I'll tell my story. I was so, completely sober for five years. I, I went to an AA meeting every single day for months and months. I saw therapists. I did more group therapy. I sponsored dozens of other alcoholics and addicts. And about five years in, I started to have this thought that I no longer identified with the first step of the Alcoholics Anonymous program, which is that I am powerless over drugs and alcohol. I felt like I had dealt with the underlying issues and that didn't feel true to, for me anymore. And I ended up uh, a guy, you know, I've been thinking about this for maybe six months and a guy, yep. A friend came over to my house and he put a big bag of weed on the table and then he went and took a shower and I looked at it and I'd been thinking about it for six months. And so I just went swipe, took a little nug. And then that night I rolled myself a joint, got high, felt great. But then I just kind of sat and waited for, for the next week or two thinking, oh my God, am I going to, am I going to relapse? Am I going to start craving shooting up? And that never happened. And slowly I started to reintroduce certain things, some recreationally, and then some for like healing purposes, sacred, sacred purposes. And a lot of people ask me how I'm able to do this without my life becoming unmanageable again. And I think it's partly that I did a lot of my shit when I was a kid. And so I didn't have as many years sort of rewiring my brain in a negative way. So my, my, my drug use years were way shorter than a lot. Um, and I also, I, when I relapsed, I got that, The reason people relapse is because they stop following the 12th step, which is we practice these principles in all our affairs. So they'll go through the steps and they'll live cleanly for six months, a year, five years, but then they, they kind of rest on their laurels and they become complacent. They stop growing. They stop having like emotional, spiritual hygiene. And then their life falls apart again. So some of these steps, it's like, take a moral inventory. Who are you resentful for? And what is your part in those resentments? It's make amends. It's serve others. Just 
things that every human would be better served by doing and that many healthy people just sort of naturally do. And so what I got is that I needed to keep practicing these. I don't necessarily need to keep reading the big book or go to meetings, but I need to, this needs to be front and center in my life. And uh, these 12 steps, these 12 steps and just, yeah, essentially taking care of my mental health, my physical health and my relationships. Um, uh, that must, did your parents, so, so let's say today, like, would you have a beer today? I would. Yeah. Does that scare the shit out of your parents or your wife? So yeah. So the uh, sober for five years and then I was not sober for another year before I told my, my family. And initially they were, I would say slightly concerned to moderately concerned because there are just not many stories of people learning how to do these things safely again. Right. Uh, And at the same time, they had a lot of trust in me and they saw the type of person that I was and they saw how my, like how clean my relationships were and just the way that I was living my life. And they also got that them trying to control me back into sobriety wasn't going to work. They got that this showing me through through the way they spoke to me that uh, they trusted me was the best way to to get me to um, kind of I don't know about behave but live the in the best way I could. If they had tried to control me, there may have been a part of me that rebelled and ended up like wanting to use harder things to in spite of them. And 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 I'm guessing you don't fuck with any pills anymore. Never. No. Man, I I mean, I don't have any personal experience, but obviously I have a lot of friends who've been through, uh, you know, wild journeys. And uh, I don't know anyone who does that, what you're doing, who's able to, uh, I guess, re-assimilate. So Mm -hmm. so when you say uh, medicinal stuff, you mean like ayahuasca and stuff like that? And psilocybin and things like that. And those have been... I would yeah, one of the most impactful parts of my spiritual journey, without a doubt. Can you tell me about that? Why is that? <clears throat> so the way that I describe plant medicines is they put things in front of me and in, in my consciousness that are like defects of character, ways that I'm out of integrity with myself, things that I could access sober through meditation, reflection, having, you know, great people give me feedback in my life, but they do it much faster and with greater intensity. So for instance, so this is a, this is a, this is a good one. Um, for a couple years, I was noticing this voice in my head when I would be talking to some people and the voice would say, I'm better than you. And immediately I was like, oh, fuck, that's a, oh, that's, gr- that's a gross ass thought. Right. And I would be like, you know, metaphorically or, or I would imagine myself aggressively pushing that thought away, but it just kept coming up over and over. And sometimes there was more, it was like, I'm better than you because, and I became really ashamed of that thought. And 
then in an ayahuasca journey, that came to me. And what plant medicines do sometimes is they amplify what's going on inside of you times a thousand. And so it was amplified times a thousand and I made it into this much bigger deal than it actually was. And, and what it was like for me in that experience was I told myself, if I think I'm better than others, I'm a complete fraud. My wife is going to leave me. All of my friends will disown me. And my whole life is about to change. I literally, I, I thought that was the truth so much so that I almost ran out of the room. The, the shaman clo- then closes the night and, you know, e- everyone's medicine is sort of wearing off. And I ended up pulling a guy over to the side and asking if I could share it with him, share something with him. And I told him everything I just told you. And he just starts laughing at me. And he says, me too, brother. Me too. And what I hear from you is that you're a man whose brain has evolved for thousands and thousands and millions of years to compete for status. You're a human being, you're a male competing for status. And as soon as he said that, man, just this enormous wave of relief came over me. And what I got from that experience is that there was a part of me that was, was, and always had been trying to compete for acceptance and for, you know, jockeying who's better than who. And when I would be in conversation after that, what I learned to do is when that voice would come up, I would imagine myself embracing that side of me, almost like it was like a little, the little boy version of me. And I would say, thank you for everything you've done for me. You helped me win the CrossFit games and you've helped me yeah. succeed in business. This competitive, God, I love this competitiveness. God, I fucking love this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. thank you. And I'm talking to Sevan right now. And so rather than beating the fuck out of it. Yeah. So I you think you're better than me? <laughs> so much, dude. So much. <laughs> dude, um, you accept it. Accept you're not going to fight that guy. Really you're going to accept, accept that guy. I accept exactly. you. Exactly right. Dude, it's all it, it, God, I, I don't know how you tied that in. God, that's fucking brilliant, Michael. It always ends up being acceptance. It always ends up being acceptance. It, there's this thing I, I love this thing that Eckhart Tolle says, and if you can't accept it, accept the fact that you can't accept mm. it. And if you can't accept, you can't accept it. Accept the fact that you can't accept it. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God. I fucking get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um you you they they are um they your your thoughts are not you but you are responsible for them mm-hmm. um what what's 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 amazing is that in your in your i don't i don't know what you call it your 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 mundane life your regular life that you actually have cultivated enough awareness and, and, and maybe that's the gift through all your hardship to actually see your thoughts. You, you know, some people aren't even in um, in that realm yet. They mm-hmm. don't even know what we're talking about because they haven't actually even seen one thought to know that 
what we're talking about. And then, you know, on the, on that faster level, going back to your parents, your parents probably didn't even see that emotion. They probably didn't even see no the fear emotion. They just reacted to it and then gave it to you. And like seeing emotions is even crazier, right? I mean, now you're, you're, you've cultivated a shitload of awareness to watch where emotions come from. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, meditation is very popular now, but I think, I don't know if 10% of people really understand the purpose of meditation. The purpose is not so that you can just have a relaxing 10 minutes or 20 minutes and then go about your day with more calm. That's a bonus. The point is so that in the rest of your life, the rest of the 23 hours and 40 minutes, you start to become more aware of your thoughts. And you're in the, and the sensations going on in your body. That's all it is. And then once you can see it, have a little more influence over it, let it go, accept it. Along those lines, you should always be meditating, but these, but there's these moments that you should use in your life. Ideally when things are good to cultivate the practice. Mm Mm-hmm. But ideally, you know, I would uh, one time I was uh, sitting in an uh, airport. I think I was in India. Or I can't remember where I was. And I was I was just sitting there quietly, you know, consciously like setting away meditation time. I, I, I like to think of myself as I'm always in meditation, except for those moments when I've lost consciousness in my sleep. Um, but and someone said to me, how could you meditate in here? You're, it's so noisy. Like, are you kidding me? This is the fucking easiest place to fucking meditate. Like, like, and, and those types of things reveal to me, oh yeah, you're right. Most people don't even know what meditation is, mm-hmm. that, that it's just this, this cultivation, right? It's a time that you set aside purposely to cultivate more, uh, m- more, uh, awareness. Who, who, who do you think you stumbled? Do you, do you have a, something that like impacted you the most, like a book or, or a person? Someone who pointed uh, and, my, and sort of on my personal growth path or what? Yeah. Or just someone who gave you, do you remember, do you know who gave you, like my wife has given me a lot of tools for looking inward, like shit loads. And um, if it wasn't for her, I, I, what was, I had the capacity and the power to do it and the focus. I just didn't know how to do it. It's so, fu- you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I didn't never even mm-hmm. thought of looking inward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what do you mean look inward like open right. my mouth and look in the mirror right, right you know bend over and spread my butt cheeks what do you mean <laughs> look inward i mean that's how i was like i'm saying i was a rock um did someone help you or point you in the direction or give you the tools more than i can count the first one i'll i'll mention it was a therapist named jason that i had at that nine month spot uh-huh. and he was this big dude i think he had played college football just like a fucking man's man. And he told me very early on, he said, a real man is someone that can be fully himself no matter where he is. Mm. And uh, an aspect of that was he is able to express his emotions without being you know, insecure about what everyone else in the room is thinking. And he showed me how to do that. And he supported me in discovering how to do that for myself. And so having this guy that was like just a bad at, like, you know, he went, he would go on these like two week long elk hunting trips by himself on public land, just a really badass man's man. But then he was so expressive emotionally and such a great space holder 
it gave me a one, I wanted to make him proud of me. And yeah, two, yeah. it just gave me an example, a model of who I could become, of the type of guy I could become. I didn't have to be an effeminate, creative type if I was going to be expressing my emotions. I could be a, you know, a more traditional version of a man and also express my emotions. Okay. Not that I, I consider myself a creative type now, but <laughs> at the time, I didn't think that was cool. Oh, tell tell me about this uh, term you used, uh, space holder. Yeah, so maybe this is like, maybe this is like spiritual jargon I'm using now. But what I mean by that is the ability to be in a room with with one or more people and stay grounded while others are expressing themselves. And so if someone is expressing something really big, they have really big emotions, what is healing for that person is for what I'll say this, what, what, it, what is not helpful is for me or, or for Jason rather to react and add his own bullshit and projections to your big emotions he was able to have these kids and me included going through all of our pain and and screaming at him sometimes. And, you know, one kid had lost his dad to suicide and he was just able to breathe through it. And so he's creating this sort of container for us to just completely fall apart in with safety so it's holding like a a safe space. Am I making sense, bro? I I, I uh, it is a the most underexpressed term and most needed on planet Earth. Mm. Space holders. These people are fucking amazing. Uh, is he the first space holder you ever uh, met? No, but the first one that I was ready to listen to. I started going to AA meetings when I was 15 and I was around a lot of really caring people that, yeah, they, they had, uh, yeah, they, they were great space holders, but I was not ready. I would go into these meetings and intentionally imagine myself closing my ears because I didn't want to change. I so badly didn't want to change. Um, did you, did you have any home births? I did. Yeah. We, we, uh, intended to do it with our first, but he came a little early. But then our second one, she she was born at home. Yeah, and, and uh, were your midwives were they incredible space holders? Incredible. Yes, that's a that's a great example. Those those ladies are unfucking believable. What they do, if you find a good yeah. midwife who can hold space for your wife when she has the baby, you will freak out. Part of you will be like, "Hey, bitch, aren't you going to do something?" they do they do absolutely no thing the good that we had two midwives they did absolutely it's not that they're doing nothing they did no thing they sat there and Mm -hmm. let my wife have the fucking baby and Mm -hmm. it was i couldn't even believe what i was witnessing it was this space holding idea I, I oh one of the most beautiful and powerful experiences. Uh, I didn't get to have my son at home, so this was extra uh, special. That so that's her prior just prior to the birth. 
Yep. Um, there's this, uh, when someone's telling you a story, uh, once you start experiencing being around space holders and you start holding space for other people, you, what you do is you, you, someone might tell you a story. I'll give you an example. This might not, not be a great one, but someone might tell you a story and the appropriate thing to be, might be like, someone be like, yeah, my dad died. And they tell you the story. And uh, someone who's not holding the space might be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh my God. And that person <laughs> did really what intense. at your funeral? That's so <laughs> unthoughtful of them. Oh my God, that's borderline racist. They did what to you? The, these people, what they are doing is a pseudo um compassion that they are they are uh they're almost like feeding this um they're it's it's the opposite of holding the space person who holds the space sort of lets your story um see if it has merit on its own and if it can live on its own and if it can't it will go away and 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 you're, you're almost healed in their presence and so it, um yeah, and and a woman who's having a baby starts spinning a lot of shit. They're go, you're go, they're going through yes. some shit. Yes. And the last thing you need is someone fucking reacting to it. And, and yeah, you know, so what's, and, what's going go on in your example is that person, that woman, is unregulated, and so she's trying to uh, she's trying to overcome her own instability internally by rescuing you. And by adding her own shit, a space yeah, holder, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. feeling the same things, but they have the tools to regulate themselves and just keep listening. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. I, I, I knew the idea of space holding, you know, I experienced it with my wife, uh, but, but when we had Avi and I saw those midwives do that, that kind of like changed the whole, uh, that, that they they set the bar at a different level for me. I was like, holy yeah. shit, this is like, I didn't even know they they almost weren't human anymore for for a couple hours. That's such a good example, man. Yeah, that's a yeah, um, good midwives. Yeah, crazy. And what's crazy is one of the one of the midwives, like I could tell ahead of time, was going to have that ability, and one of them was just a complete like neurotic woman. Like she was like the more the doctor type, like, and the other one was like the hippy dippy. And the other one was like the, the medical one. But when fucking came to birth time, they both just fucking nice. Yeah. They just disappeared. <laughs> they just vanished. I was like, yo, I really thought that like, yo, bitches do something. <laughs> but like there was nothing to do. Like, you know, that's like, cool. that's great. Yeah. Yeah, one of the best things that ours told D in the first one uh, before, yeah, way before uh, she had our son, she said, you only have one responsibility and that's to be pregnant. You don't have to eat any sort of way or do any sort of thing. You just got to be pregnant. How did you meet your wife? Remember through uh, Barbell Shrugged uh, business thing. Right. And, um, uh, c- can you give me more details? You, 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 what the event was and you walk into the place and you see her and. Yeah. So both of us had significant others. She had a very serious boyfriend at the time who she thought she was going to marry. Mm-hmm. And I had a girlfriend of like a week and we walk into this 
it's uh it's like a big they had rented out a big mansion for 30 30 of us that were paying to be there and it's all business owners trying to help each other grow their businesses just to give tips and advice and poke holes in the plans and things like that and we were the youngest by five or ten years and we were just like fit and immediately physically attracted to each other and we ended up just spending a lot of time chatting and we were obviously into each other um and then at some she point she has an it, accent she has a funny israeli accent little, no no not israeli canadian oh both, canadian okay both, yeah. okay okay and at some point i asked her if she had a boyfriend and really what 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 had happened is i stalked her on instagram immediately and i i found that there was a guy in her pictures but he hadn't been in a picture in a month or so so i said okay she probably broke up with him i talked myself into that at some point i asked her and she said yes i have a boyfriend And, um, so we, you know, we didn't, we didn't like, I I think we continued talking, but we didn't hook up or anything. And then maybe a few weeks later, she broke up with him and we got together. Was she in a different city? She was traveling through the States and yeah, she was just traveling all around and she was in the middle of a road trip with her then boyfriend and, uh, they broke up. And we got together and does she contact you? Is it like they break up and like, she immediately texts you. We we were talking every day. We were talking every day. Oh shit. Oh shit. Under the guise of me coaching her, we had talked ourselves into this being okay because I was coaching her. Right. Right. I was helping her with her muscle ups and she was on the grid league. And why were you attracted to her? Oh, she was that good. So she was good. She was she was good. Yeah. Well, so, okay. Physically, I just thought she was absolutely stunning, uh-huh. but what I, but I had been with beautiful women before what set her apart just so much was our, our relationship coach, Annie, who we talked about in the beginning, she says, you don't fall in love with your partner as much as you fall in love with who you get to be in their presence. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. immediately when I met her, I felt like the best version of myself. She, she just picked up on different things about me that she loved. And she started to treat me as if I were that person. So things like, you know, I can be radically honest. I can be humorous. I can be, uh, yeah, like witty. I can be thoughtful and, and curious, but up to that point, I was not those things very consistently, but she saw all of those in me and she treated me like, that's just who I was. And immediately I felt like I just wanted to be a better person when I was around her. And I liked that version of myself. I loved that version of myself. And it sort of, it occurred to me, I don't, I don't know about immediately. Maybe it was like after we started really dating, it occurred to me that it seems inevitable that I reach my highest potential as a human being if I'm with her. And okay. that above, above why, why all, say, all else. Because, was, um, uh, because you can let Michael express himself. I get that part, right? I mean, she, she's, you feel free in her presence. Um, does she believe in you? 
She really fucking believes in me. Yeah, more more than I believe in myself for sure. So another metaphor. Have you ever? Annie, and then, and then before you say this, you can say that. Uh, and then I want you to tell me if you've ever was someone who didn't believe in you. But go ahead, tell me this metaphor, and I'll I'll, well, I'll forget that question. Okay, cool. So another metaphor is that our partners are sacred mirrors for us. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, they show us our greatness, like all of our beauty, our magnificence, and in some ways, they show us our shadows, like the parts of ourselves that are that, that are hidden from us. And she saw both, and she praise it. She's the best praise and affirmation giver I've ever met. And she's also the most courageous in showing me my shortcomings where she knows I'm capable of being, but where my behavior is and showing me that. And sometimes that's in the form of bitching and complaining. And sometimes it's in the form of really tactful, precise feedback. And she's always been that for me. And you know, at the time of meeting her, I had done a lot of my own work. So I received that with a lot of gratitude and I saw it for what it was, which was gold. Um, you, you point out something that's, that's really good there. Um, I've had friends who are like been with women who are like, Hey, I don't like the job you have, or you need to make more money or shit like that. My wife's never done that to me. When my wife gives me advice and I think it's, I think I'm wonder if this is like along what you're saying, um, she holds me to a higher standard. So she'll, she'll hear me on the phone with uh, you and I'll be like, okay, Michael, uh, my kids are, uh, it's time to put my kids to bed. I got to go. And my wife will hear me do that 10 nights in a row. And then she'll be like, Hey, see what she's like, don't, don't lie. Hmm. Don't, don't, don't lie. It's not okay. It's not who you are. Hold yourself, set yourself free. It's not, it's not good for you. It's, just, it's not even like a moral thing or a value thing. It's not good for you, Savon. Set yourself free. You don't need to do that. I mean, she says it better than that. She doesn't talk down to me like that. I'm saying it like, I mean, I she totally just, get it. I totally she, she get just, it. and she just, and then I just, I'm like, oh yeah, thanks. Got it. It's like, hey, watch out. Don't hit that person in the road. That's what she's saying. And I'm like, oh, thank you. It's so like she just gives me things that like I can do that instantaneously make me a fucking better person. I'm free. Holy shit. Thank you. Mike, I'm done talking to you. Bye. (laughs) Bye bye. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no, I don't got to make a reason. I don't got to lie. I don't ever have to lie. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. What's, what's the deal? Can I piss or should I just, no, no, no. No, no, pee away. Pee, yeah, right, always, right always pee. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, pee away. Dude, I'm fucking, this is, too, this is two interviews in a row that I've outlasted the fucking person peeing. It's a new record. A fucking beast. You've been training your bladder or something? I'm, I'm on another level. I, 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 I'm, I was supposed to go out to breakfast with Greg at 8.30. I've really fucking shit the pooch. I better text him. Ooh, would yeah. be mad. Uh, oh. Or you just uh, duped yourself out of a free breakfast. I'd be more disappointed about not having a free breakfast, honestly. Greg called me this morning, and I have this fucking automatic response that says what you need. <laughs> what you need. Come on. Hey, yeah. And I sent it to him like a fucking idiot. I'm just seeing that. I'm starting to sweat a little bit. You don't say that to Greg. I said, and so I just retext him. That wasn't for you. Ha ha ha. Uh, um, shit. Uh, I'm. Um, uh, that was an automated 
response. What you need. Yeah. Just like me being funny. Like, I think I'm like it. I think I'm like it, uh, doing like I'm in boys in the hood or something. Like I'm like, I'm pretending to be like ghetto. Unbelievable. Uh, um, I, Michael, I have this, um, uh, I have this, uh, I have like automated responses on my phone when people call me Yeah, and I'm supposed to have breakfast with Greg Glassman at eight 30 and it's nine Oh five. He called me, he called me at eight 42 and I, and I picked up my phone and I meant to type podcast and I realized I sent him one of my auto responses is what you need. What nice. What you need. And it's like, uh, <laughs> that's not really what I want to send to, um, how formal that's not what I really want to send to uh, Greg, who's waiting for me to go to breakfast. My goodness. That's hilarious. Okay. Where were we? Um, by the way, I'm, I'm very, usually I'm the one who always has to take a pee break. This is incredible. This is two days in a row where the guests have to take a pee break. What, what, you're, you're, it, it's 11 a.m. for you right now? Yep. Um, it's it's it, it's great it's great that uh would you have an example of things that maybe she coaches you on like character traits or things that she holds you to a higher standard feedback she gives you hmm. like it would stress me out if my wife said hey i want you to make more money i would hate okay, that's that. a that's a great yeah this is I, a would, great I, I would fucking hate that that would that would that would be a deal breaker for me yeah so one thing that one one point of of tension. Or if she ever made me feel inadequate in any way, I w- it would be a deal breaker for me. I, w- yeah. I would fucking run for the hills. <laughs> one one point of tension recently is that I am now the sole breadwinner for the first time in our relationship, and Ooh. you know I've started the <clears throat> I started this business Soul Searching Adventures a couple years ago, right before we sold Wag, and the the truth is that it's not making nearly enough money to cover our expenses. Now right. we have we have money invested and we've I think we've been you know relatively wise with our, our money and that can't go on forever. We yeah that's like my podcast. Oh me and you are living parallel lives. Yeah. So I'm making the money, but I got to ask job. I have a podcast. It's so embarrassing yeah. when she tells people I, and she's so proud, but she'll be like, like, Oh, what is someone do? She's like, she has a podcast. It's like, Oh fuck him too. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Okay. Go on. Soul searching adventures. Yeah. Soul breadwinner. And Oh, your husband takes people on soul searching adventures. How sweet. So the, the tension was that, I I have felt like I have found my calling in life. I feel like I was either born to do this work or just like all of my experience, due to all of my life experience, this is the type of work that I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I've not wanted to taint it by focusing on how much money it makes. Mm. You oh, Sorry, tie it back to the other thing. You're holding space for other men. I'm holding space for other men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, and- Adi, she loves the work I do. She's been my biggest champion. And at the same time, she she wants me to be working on covering our lifestyle expenses. We spend more than some, less than, yeah, and, and less than others. If this uh, soul searching thing doesn't make, you see the end of the runway coming. 
Something's going to have to give. You're either going to have to make more money with soul searching or you're going to have to sell something and and, 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 and maybe burn some of your uh, retirement equity. Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. I'm in the exact same position. Yeah. What, what's going to, yeah. And you're like watching, oh shit, is this going to make more money or am I going to run out of runway and fall off the edge? Yeah. And so I, the story that I created in my head was that she was expecting me if I couldn't close that gap that she was expecting me to stop doing what I'm doing and do something soul sucking just to make more money. Which would be what? Get a job back at LSU uh, training the football team. Yeah. Or start an online company selling a product or something like that. Okay. And when it comes down to it, what she's asking me for is to make it important to me to provide for our family. And she could sense that because I wasn't caring how much money soul searching made, that it really didn't matter to me that much. And my, and I wasn't working as hard as I could if I was making it a priority. And we had this conversation maybe only three, three weeks ago and she's telling me how she felt. And I'm, I'm sort of catastrophizing and I'm not, I'm not like, like overly emotional, but I'm really, I'm, I'm really down in the conversation. I feel like, yeah, I feel confused. I felt confused. And we ended that conversation or one thing I'll mention is that she was just holding space. She, she was stating how she was feeling without trying to make me wrong for my feelings and and not making it into a bigger deal. She was an excellent space holder that night, but we ended that conversation with it being unresolved. And I woke up the next morning with a lot more clarity about what I was feeling. And what I was feeling is not so much a financial fear, but a fear of failure. Mm. What if I give this everything I've got, this thing that I care deeply about, mm-hmm. and it's still not enough? Mm-hmm. What will people think of me? What does that mean about me as a man? What does that mean about me as a husband and a, and a father? And what I've been able to do since then is just watch those sensations in my body very, very quickly. I feel really proud about my, proud of myself because usually in the past, if I have any, any sort of fear related to money, it is, or, or, or fear of failure, it comes al- along with a lot of story that could co- sort of abduct my day. But now I'm just seeing it when it arises and I'm able to let it go pretty quickly. And I'm able to use all of that, that emotion, which is sort of just like energy. I'm able to use it to, to fuel me. And I'm able to use it to help me focus. And since that conversation, I have been the Was most. Was that your pre- wife being like, hey, stop no. talking about this? Oh, no, I'm, I'm defrosting some deer meat. <laughs> I've been, yeah, I've been the most productive I, I've been in my entire career. And I have a fire under my ass that I've never had. And I fucking love it. Um, so do you think that maybe, um, so it's a double fire. You found your passion and you're leveraging this insecurity to, to, uh, uh, to, um, to succeed as energy. Yes. Yes. 
And I don't know that. Got it. Yeah, I guess that's a little bit of the insecurity. Yeah. And a little bit of like, hey, I made this commitment to my family, to my wife, Mm -hmm. to do everything in my power to just cover all of our expenses so that we don't have to spend our investments. I'm a proponent of leveraging um, insecurity and ego uh, consciously. Uh, I mean, I don't want to take my eye off of it so it fucking runs wild. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I'm okay with uh, I'm going to the beach in two weeks. I'm going to see a bunch of people and I I don't want to look like a total fat slob in my bathing suit. I'm going to stop eating after six o'clock at night. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of that. Well, Sebon, that's not going to last forever. You you need to change your lifestyle. Well, fuck you. I'm working on it. This is just like stop. Yeah. You know, like – yeah, it's cool. Yeah, we're, we're not we're not enlightened beings. So because we're not enlightened, we it, it, have we have desires and we have insecurities and and it's better to everything. leverage it than 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 um, let it leverage you. Mm. Like the other way, the, by leveraging me, it's like oh, I'm just gonna I, I don't want to deal with fucking not eating. I'm just gonna just drink myself into feeling numb so that thought goes away. I mean that's that's the other that's that's the other end of it, right? Yeah. Um, uh, what, how often are you doing these soul searching, um, adventures? Uh, about four a year. And are, then we're doing, girls first, we're doing our first, what we're calling couples camp this year uh-huh. on our, on our land. That's the only thing I do with, with women right now. We, I might do a co-ed soul searching trip at some point. Um, d- and, and, uh, when you do the, the soul searching with the dudes, with the boys, um, that's just you. You don't have any, a D doesn't go on that. Correct. And I, I bring a wilderness guide with us as well. <clears throat> and how much does it cost? They're all different. The The typical trip is five days. So on there, you see the 2023 adventures, the Escalante, Utah, and the Boundary Waters. Those are five days, completely immersed in the wilderness. Those are 3,000. And then the, there's an international one like Bolivia, which are always invite only. And those are more, those are like in the 5,000 plus range. And, and, and what if I'm freaked out because like I, in the pictures I see, it's like you and Marsden and, and, and like, I'm like, Oh no, what if they go on a hike and I can't make it? I'm, I'm 50. Yeah. I would say that. And part of the thing that I'm screening for when I interview people are, uh, are you fit? Like there's definitely, you, you need to consider yourself a fit person, but you don't need to be able to do well in the CrossFit open necessarily. Um, there's been a wide range of fitness levels mm-hmm. of the, of the guys that have gone on these trips. And what I would say is it's something that I recommend training for, and if you're uh, if you're exercising consistently and you train for this, you you will be able to do it. And one way to look at it, if it if it's sort of scary, is you can look at it as a, a crucible experience, like a really challenging physical experience that is so challenging that it's it's transformational just in the physical aspect alone. Oh, it is. I didn't. Oh, I didn't get. I didn't pick that up from it. It is that. Typically, it's not, but for people that are on the lower end of that fitness spectrum, it definitely is. We had a guy going up the going out of the Grand Canyon. It was the hardest physical thing he had ever done in his life, 
and it almost crushed him. We had to carry his pack for a little little while. That that moment where he almost wanted, like he wanted to give up, but he didn't really have a choice. Uh, we would have had to copter him out. That moment was the most, I think, the most important part for him. And six months later, he ends up running a, a 50k race. So it Holy totally shit. totally changed his life. Wow, crazy! How long is the hike out of the Grand uh, Canyon? They range from twenty to forty miles in a single day. No, and, and and over the course of the five days. Oh, okay. And and then how heavy are the packs? Thirty five ish. And 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 what do you do? What what what? How do you? What's the um? What's the description the of arc. the soul soul? No, well, what's the description? If someone says, "What is the soul searching adventure?" Well, what is it? What do you tell them? Yeah, the the shortest answer is it's an epic outdoor adventure with deep introspective work. And what I help men find, some of the most common things I help men with are, number one, finding clarity of their purpose in life and especially in their work. Men want to do work that is more meaningful. They want to feel connected to their work. They want to feel like what they do actually matters to other people. I help men create deeper relationships. So with other men and with their intimate partners and with their families. And most of, if not all of the guys I work with are considered successful in the traditional sense. A lot of guys that are entrepreneurs and have made lots of money and gotten lots of recognition, but they're unsatisfied with something, with something in their life or, or many things in their life. And I help them find genuine contentedness and inner peace. And the way that that works is we look at three areas of life. We look at work, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with others. And I give a ton of questions and exercises and prompts to guys. And then I just give them a bunch of space to contemplate and write about these things on their own. And then we just come together over and over and discuss what's coming up. And the way that I see my role on these trips is a space holder. I'm there to listen. And when I feel it's appropriate to help people go deeper into what they're experiencing and to challenge you know, someone might be telling a story and talking about an experience. And what one of my hopes for people is that they can really relive and feel certain experiences. You know, if they're ta- if we're talking about a, a really troubling or even traumatic experience from the past, sometimes it's important to go back to feel it in our adult bodies and to then reframe the meaning that we made out of that story. And so I'll just help people create enough safety within themselves to, to go through that process, just as an example. Um, uh, Jay Hartle says, do I have to take shrooms? <laughs> we don't take any shrooms. Unless you go on an international trip with me, then we might take some plant medicine. I'm flying a shaman out to Bolivia for that trip. And uh, we're going to build two rafts and then we're going to float down the Amazon and we're going to drink ayahuasca for a couple of days on there. Holy not, not on the raft uh, at a farm along the river. Holy shit. That sounds wild. It's wild. What's the oldest dude you've taken? 
50 to 55. And then my dad is actually going to come on a trip with me later this year, which I'm just so stoked for. What's the youngest dude? 19, 20. God. The thought of doing that, going on a raft down the Amazon, interests me this much. (laughs) I'm such a fucking curmudgeon. What a cool fucking adventure. God, you're a fucking good dude, Mr. Cashew. Thank you, bro. I feel the same about you. What a cool thing. You, 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 man. Um, the, uh, that thing that you said about, um, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, especially an old one, uh, that thing that you said about, um, talking about like your job, your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others. That's a good one. That's a, that's kind of like a, a nice thought to, to leave me with so I can dig in like I, that, that. I would like to think about that today. My thought with my relationship with other people. How are they? My relationship with myself. How is it? And, and my relationship with my work. Hmm. It's kind of amazing how many parallels uh, our lives have. It, it seems like even though I'm uh, older, it seems like we're in a lot of this same space. We did a lot of sh- shit. Uh, we got through a lot of shit. And now we're kind of um, sewing. We're, 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 use, we're living off the equity of those experiences. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. To, to, um, for, for, like other people got their PhD in like math. We got our PhD in some other shit that there's, we, we don't have a piece of paper, but we're, we're trying to package it and share it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great analogy. And, and also, uh, sowing new seeds, you know, we're not resting on, on what we've done in the past. We're continuing to live at our edge, which I think is a really important aspect of living a, a, a full life. Yeah. If you're a parent, that's, you, you can do that too. Like, because I have these kids that are changing so fast. If I stay present, I can always kind of like live on the edge with them. Make sure that like I'm being, yeah, the best version of myself and making sure I'm, I I guess, present with them is, is the best. Um, um, was, uh, was, did you find CrossFit and rehab? No, I got out and I trained for, and I ran the Salt Lake city marathon. I trained really hard for it so hard that I was burnt out after one marathon. And so I was done with that. And I went into a 24 hour fitness a few times, just kind of floundering. And I met a guy who was early on in recovery as well, who his name was Bryce. And we, we went snowboarding a little bit with each other. And then at some point he said, Hey, I'm doing this new thing called CrossFit. Uh, do you want to come join me? And I knew the idea of cross training. And so I, had no idea what to make of a gym that is called CrossFit. And I went in, it's called CrossFit Energy, NRG in Salt Lake City. And we were doing uh, Fight Gone Bad. And at the time, you know, I, I was the most conditioned person on every team I had ever played with, as far as I remember. Even, you know, even, even more than all the black kids, they were faster than me, but if we were running hundreds, I was the first, even though I was smoking a pack a day, I was always the, in the best shape. And then like just good that, metabolic capacity, just great. You're ready to get like, is that what that means? Yes. Conditioned. Okay. Yes. okay. And, uh, then I had just run a marathon and I won my age division. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm fucking king of the world. Right. You know, and I go in this place and there's a 50 year old woman. She kicks my ass. 
just so just so bad. So I was I was so humbled, and uh, yeah, I was hooked. I was I was hooked partly because out of leveraging insecurity. I didn't yeah. want to be. The, I I was like, how can she possibly beat me? Right. This can never happen again, right. or, or or like ultimately, I can't let this keep happening. And on the other side, I, I realized these people are doing like a hundred different movements. How fun. And yeah, I was, I was hooked very quickly and it, and it came at the perfect time in my life because in, in Alcoholics Anonymous rooms, there are, there, there, there's a lot that a lot great to say about the community, but you know, I was 18 years old and uh, there was just too much darkness in the rooms for me. Meanwhile, these CrossFit gems, there was a lot of growth minded people that didn't have as much heaviness in their life. And, you know, they were up to something, they were supporting each other. They were, you know, working really fucking hard in the gym. And um, yeah, so much about CrossFit helped, helped me heal and, and recover. And, and, and I also, I, I want to be clear, Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life for sure. But this was just a great, a great thing in addition. Right. I mean, I'm glad to hear you say that about CrossFit. Growth-minded, uh, pe- people with growth uh, mindset. But basically, on, on some level, regardless, if you're doing CrossFit, you're taking some sort of personal accountability that kind of in a, and responsibility that sets you apart from a lot of other people currently on the planet. Yes. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I appreciate you, you having me, man. Yeah, you're you're always welcome, dude. You're always welcome. It would be fun. When's your next um soul searching uh, adventure? I have one March starting March 20th, so it's March 20th through the 26th in Escalante, Utah. And uh, yeah, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Can can you talk after you go on one of those trips? I'm sure like a lot of that stuff's private, but can you talk about is there stuff stories you could share? It'd be I'd be I'd be curious to talk to you like after you do one of those and and, and like just hear what happened. What what is your question? Do I have stories from these experiences? I don't know what my question is. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, like you're gonna go on this trip and like can you be like, yeah, dude, this guy fucking cried for a fucking hour and his whole life changed and he called his wife and divorced her right there. Like, can you, or is it like, now nah, we see the pictures of the guys. You can't share those stories. Cause I'm just curious, like what kind of, it'd be cool to talk to you when you come back from one of these and be like, Hey dude, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So some, some stories I have expressed permission to share, but uh-huh. even, even anonymously, if I haven't yeah. gotten permission, I try to do my best to, to not share those. Okay. But yeah, people are almost without fail. Guys are coming on these trips and having really big epiphanies and insights. And um, for some of them, it it, it completely changes their life. You know, there was a, there was a guy that came that was, um, you know, seriously considering divorce and now he doesn't have a perfect relationship, but it is a great relationship and they have more respect and love. And um, I'm, you know, I'm happy to say that the the trip was a, a big impetus for for them coming back together. Uh, you know, as a as a as an example. God, divorce scares the shit out of me. I, I, I anytime someone tells me they went through a divorce, I know I know we some some people in the comments here have unfucked me before. Well, if you're in an abusive relationship, you got to get out. But man, uh, one of my friends and I are always kind of like high five each other about how stoked we are. We 
we're not divorce bound. Divorce sounds horrible, doesn't it? Yeah, one of the worst, worst pain. You ever been divorced? You, you ever been divorced? No, you're one and done. One and done, hopefully, yep. Yeah. Yeah, we've been married for six years. <laughs> I, uh, I don't i i don't even know what my anniversary is so don't, don't even don't worry we're we're i don't have no fucking clue we had already had a kid before we got married we were we we were never gonna get married a different story anyway um i appreciate you being on here brother uh i'm uh th- 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 i thank marston for uh introducing um us and i consider you a friend and if there's ever anything i can do for you uh, uh hit me up please yeah, thank you, brother. Likewise, same to you, man. And I'm uh, I, st- I haven't gotten any of the equipment yet, but we're in the in the process of selling a house right now. Um, and so, as soon as we sell the house, I'm buying my son all sorts of shit to climb on. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. Keep me posted and send me photos. I will, man. All right. Cheers. Later. Bye. I hope you can't hear this. Hey, sorry. That wasn't, that was an auto response. I didn't mean to send you what you need. I was trying to type podcast and it hit what you need. Yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I'm ready. That leaves you. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to um I'm going to get off of the podcast here and then I'm going to I'm going to and then I'm going to call you and f- come find you. Okay, bye. All right. Stop being a bitch. <laughs> I can't help it. Fuck you guys. I outlasted fucking Michael Cashew and fucking that other Brett Pike on my fucking bladder. That's the fucking manliest thing you guys have ever seen me do. No, he wasn't even pissed at all. He thought it was funny. What you need. Can't believe I sent that to him. What if he would have been my boss still? Holy shit. I almost did that to my supervisor today. I'm like, dude, I'm not doing this shit right now. <laughs> Uh, yes, always flexing on you guys. Always. Um, did you kick Michael off? No, I didn't kick him off. I mean, yeah, I kicked him off, but I mean, it was over. Uh, yeah, I do drop everything for Greg. That's true. All right. Um, I will see you guys uh, tomorrow morning. Sorry, I told you guys Jason Kleber was going to be on today, and it was Michael Casu. I had that all fucked up. And uh, but Jason will be here tomorrow, I believe. Until tomorrow, uh, boy, I can't wait till we do our next live call-in show. So much fun shit. Good riddance, Lori Lightfoot from Chicago. Double bird to you, honey. See ya. And bye bye